Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 333. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what's up? This is a DC Comics podcast. We get together, we talk about DC books we read this week. Coming up on this week's show is a week five, but not a quiet week five, I would say. So it's, it's kind of worked out to be a kind of a normal amount, uh, all things considered. Yeah. Uh, we got Justice Society of America, issue one. Detective Comics Annual 2022, Nightwing Annual 2022, Superman Kal-El Returns Special Issue 1, Batgirls Annual 2022, Blue Beetle Graduation Day Issue 1, and I'll be looking at uh, American Vampire Issue 31 as one of the Patreon books. So, there you go. That is uh, what's yep. coming up on the show this week. So, uh, interesting variety. And uh, we are, it's the final week of November, books-wise, but obviously we're, we're just sneaking into the start of December now, uh, timeline-wise. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I don't really have anything to tell you yet, but, I mean, as always, the schedule around Christmas itself will probably be slightly different, just like it is every yeah. year. But Christmas is on a Saturday this year. Oh, is it? <laughs> I, well, hold on, I don't know if that's Christmas Eve or Christmas itself. So, let's see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Christmas Eve is on a Saturday this year. Yeah, so uh, I would ex- I would expect whatever episode it was yep. would have been done on that Saturday will be a little late. <laughs> yes, <laughs> would be my guess. So, uh, you know, just uh, be braced for a slight change in schedule for the holidays. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, but no, uh, yeah, Connor's back in the dungeon or wherever, wherever yeah. we put him, wherever he's staying. Yes, um, but. No, um, there is one little bit of news this week, but do not worry because there's always time for a Comixology Top 10. Uh, so they've added one slight different thing to the, the Comixology like, chart now, mm-hmm. where I actually, it, it, it defaulted now to showing me books that weren't out yet. Like it was showing me books for this coming Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I had to, there was like a drop down to select your like period that you want to look at. So I had to actually go back and like sort of select Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, I thought it may mix them together again. It still didn't. It's still separated by day. So we're still going to look at Tuesday's books on their own from DC, and then we'll have a look at the rest of the industry. But uh, yes. So what do you think as of right now in Comicsology, Matt, is the top selling book from DC this week? Um, let's go with the Nightly Annual. That is incorrect. Dang. Um, Superman Cowell Return Special. That's also incorrect. Shoot. All right. Here, here we go. I'm going to nail it right now. Ready? Detective Comics Annual. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> now I'm just doing it for comedy. Give me Blue Beetle. <laughs> okay. I feel like you're actually dodging what, prob- what you probably know is number one by this point. Yeah, I knew, the, I knew it the second one, and that's where I... Uh... You know, it's it's Justice Society. Yeah, Justice Society of America is the number one selling comic book from DC as of right now on Comicsology from this week. Um, number two is Superman, Kal-El Return Special. Hey, let's go. Uh, number three is the Nightwing Annual. Number four is the Detective Comics Annual. Number five is the Wildstorm 30th Anniversary Special. Good for those people about that. About that. <laughs> I don't know if that was maybe condescending or not, but uh, it's it's not condescending. But I'm glad that they they bought it in such numbers that it charted. Yeah, uh, number six is Nubia and the Justice League Special Issue One. Mm-hmm. Number seven is the Blue Beetle Graduation Day Issue One. Number eight is the Batgirls Annual. 
Mm-hmm. Number nine is the DC's Grifter Got Run Over by a Reindeer Christmas Anthology Special. That's the $10 Christmas Anthology they do every year. Uh, and then that's basically it for the new issues. Number 10 is uh, Superman Son of Kal-El uh, Volume... Was that one or two? I'd have to check. Volume uh, 2. Volume yeah, that's what came out. Volume 2, yes. Volume 2. Uh, the trade. Yeah. So that's just because there's less than 10 single issues this week. Right, uh, right. Well... I hope, yeah, yeah, I was just double checking, just just in case something sold so poorly that it was under the trades. But no, no, that's that's fine, that's fine. Uh, that is everything. So, uh, no, yeah, no huge surprises. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say the order that these ended up in the charts in, or the order of how important they are, based on the you know that I've read them and can sort of make my recommendations. But I'm not necessarily surprised that's what sold either. So, yeah, for uh, sure. Uh, DC's uh, top 10. I have no steaming hot takes. Uh, Alright, let's look at the rest of the industry, though, uh, on Wednesday. Yep. What do you think the highest selling book and comic soldier is right now? I'm going to go with Avengers Assemble Alpha number one. So apparently you know Marvel better than you do DC, because that's correct. Yep, yep. I just know that was the big uh, Jason Aaron book that came out. It's starting his end game, if, if you will, on Avengers. It's all been leading to this. So, well, we got that. Uh, number two is King Spawn issue seventeen. That's right, everyone. A non-Marvel book already. <laughs> number two. It is Spawn. Spawn sells. Uh, I, I guess it's just because it's a week five, and maybe there's just less yeah. Marvel books, so so some so more non-Marvel books are sneaking into the top ten. Uh, number three is Exterminators issue three of five. Number four is Strange issue eight. Mm-hmm. Number five is Star Trek issue two. So another non-Marvel book. Mm-hmm. Uh, number six is Planet Hulk Worldbreaker by Greg Pak. This is issue hey. one. What is this? This, this is mean, one of he... one of five. It's start of a miniseries. Interesting. I mean, that is, you know, Planet Hulk was all Pak. So. Yeah, um... yeah. Little uh, follow-up series. Mm-hmm. Uh, number seven is Star Wars Darth Vader. Number eight is Strange Academy Finals. What the, it's like a one-shot finale to whatever that has been. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Captain America Symbol of Truth, issue seven. No idea what that is. Uh, well, it's uh, Falcon Cap, but it looks at the cover. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and then number ten there it is. is... What the hell is this? Magic Nari of... No, sorry. Nahiri, the Lethomancer, issue one. I assume this is a Magic the Gathering comic book. Sure. I think it's not even coming up on League of Comic Geeks. On, on there. Like I'm, I'm scrolling a lot. Uh, w- there w- it is. What's not coming up? That one. It was. I had to scroll a lot on League of Comic Geeks. Oh, sure. To get to, get to that one. I mean, there's always uh, a chance that we may occasionally run into a digital-only book on here. Yeah. Uh, that's not on League of Comic Geeks. Because League of Comic Geeks is only tracking the physical... Right. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, weird week five. Yeah, yeah, because there was actually a lot out, out in the Wednesday. The bit of looks of it, it seems mm-hmm. like yeah, it was kind of a limited amount, even for Marvel. Yeah. So, so that Planet Hulk book by Pack is uh, two thousand years in the future. There's a, a girl ah. green skin on Planet Hulk on the, you know, battle planet, uh, looking for Green Scar. Um. So, yeah. 
Yeah. If I'd read any Planet Hulk or World War Hulk in the past, mm-hmm. maybe I'd be tempted, but I haven't. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was Pack Pack. Pack is pretty good. And I've, I've liked more stuff from Greg Pack than I haven't. So, but yeah. But my schedule being what it is leaves not a lot of time for stuff that's not DC. So. Yeah, I've not. Uh, yeah, I like Greg Pack as a writer too. I just. Mm-hmm. Uh, his Marvel stuff's just not something I've. I, I will say I was able last week to get caught up on some other stuff that's not DC, and I read through all of Duo Powerbomb, which if you're listening to this, I would highly recommend, um, especially if you like wrestling. Um, it's it's written from basically a new fan's point of view uh, by, by Daniel Warren Johnson, and he does the art as well. Uh, once the tournament kicks off, it gets a lot of fun. So... Um, if you have time, I think the trade comes out in March. Because I was gonna recommend it to Tim, but Tim's kind of in uh, in in trade trade waiter vibes right now uh, with everything that he he has going on. But yeah, if you want to get the single issues and get caught up, it is well worth the time. It's only seven issues too, so issue seven should be out in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It it took me to realize one of the teams that our heroes wrestle. Their finisher is essentially just Shatter Machine from FTR. Um, which then led to me being like, I would love to see Daniel Warren Johnson uh, draw this. Did not tag him. It still got its way to him. And he liked it. So here's here's hoping there's a collab coming. Because <laughs> that's a print I would buy for sure. But yeah, a lot of, you know, uh, wrestling tropes being played out for fun. When they get their, uh, our heroes realize that wrestling across the multiverse it's not always predetermined so now they have to make adjustments in how they wrestle uh, in order to win this tournament to bring back a loved one um but yeah highly recommend uh yeah um actually i watched something uh dc related this week well enough uh <laughs> you're making you a face Black Adam, did you no i did not <laughs> okay I would have heard if you would have watched Black Adam. No, I think we had to watch Black Adam. No, yeah. I watched the Batman and Bill, the documentary from Hulu about uh, oh about uh, you know the guy the the writer who basically turned it into a crusade to try and make sure Bill Finger got credit uh, yeah. for creating Batman. Which you know, if you pay attention to the credits in the last five years, you'll know that uh, he succeeded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. Bill Finger is now credited uh, as the co-creator of Batman, which is cool. Nice. Um, but. Really good documentary though. It kind of um, there's like a lot to the story of like trying to like achieve this, but there's just like stories about Bill Finger, who he was when he was alive, how like the creation of Batman happened, and uh, just some sad beats about like you know just how unappreciated he was, and I don't know. There's, there's just there's a lot of interesting stories, and yeah. it got shockingly touching uh, at the end. So I I would uh, recommend nice. seeing it. It's, it's been on it's been on since 2017. It's been on my to do yeah. list for ages, but I I forgot about it. Like I remember it coming up, and it's probably saved on my Hulu. I just have forgotten about it. But no, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you always you can always tell the the comic historians are the ones that are always putting over Bill Finger because a lot of what he did for the character is stuff that is still stuck through. Because when you look up the original designs for the Bob King Batman, it is not what we think. So no, we're, no. it's good that he finally gets credit. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't realize until it like brought it up in the documentary, but the reason why it's called Batman and Bill 
is because Bob Kane's autobiography is called Batman and Me. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Which has got some interesting snippets in it that they bring up uh, in the documentary yeah. for various reasons. Do, do they discuss the Gary and Snare Beast at all? No, no, nothing. Angers, no, angers, but it just it's it was really interesting and just there was a really sort of sad story to it because it's like this guy never got credit while he was alive mm-hmm. uh you know um i won't spoil what it is but he only ever while he was alive got credited for one thing batman related i won't say what it was mm-hmm. uh but it's it would probably surprise you to hear what it actually is but um you know, I I do think it's a bit of a universal kick in the teeth that uh, the first movie he got a credit on was Batman v Superman, but that's not the point. That's not the point. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the point. Oh man, he Bill Finger died in seventy four. He wasn't even that old. Yeah, no, he died. So yeah, uh, relatively early. You know, compared yeah. to a lot of those other Golden Age writers and stuff that yeah, you know, were, were all the way up to you know the nineties and maybe even break mm-hmm. it the two thousands for some of them. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, so, yes, but also thanks to Bob Kane for uh, creating this podcast since he'd probably take credit for it as he seems to take credit for everyone. A hundred percent. Bob Kane created podca- uh, podcasting. My opinion of him wasn't that high before I watched it, but like after watching that, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah I know. I remember some of the people on Twitter that was involved in comics went to visit when they were in New York, Bob Kane, I think he's buried in New York. And it was just him giving the middle finger to the grave. Um, oh, he's got so, a pompous as hell gravestone. Especially yeah. in, in light of he didn't really create most of Batman. <laughs> like, yeah. the, the idea that he's got this gravestone that says, you know, God give me divine inspiration to create the Batman. <laughs> like, piss off. Yep. Piss off. Uh, so, no. I, I just, it, was, it was an interesting time. Uh, it was kind of riveting. It's only 90 minutes. I recommend... Uh, check it out if you're remotely interested in there, this stuff. It's just a good story, if nothing else. But if you actually care mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, comic books or Batman uh, or any, any and all such. Um, oh shoot! No, he's he's buried in L.A. So, Pete, next time you're in that neck of the woods, you can uh, go go give uh, give Kane the finger or Bill finger. <laughs> give him the Bill finger. Yeah. Is that what we're going to call the middle finger or the bill finger? In honor of Bill uh, Finger. Yeah, I don't see why not. <laughs> Wait, is he that the same one as Walt Disney? I'm, I'm looking. Because I've been to that that one with Tim, funnily enough. Um, <clears throat> no, that is, that is not on the same one. No, Roy Disney's buried at the same one as Bob Kane, so... A lot of a lot of big uh, cemeteries in Los Angeles, if you can imagine. The idea that Tim just hangs around in cemeteries doesn't surprise me for whatever he, reason. He met us at Doc Brown's house in in Pasadena, uh, and then we we drove and I drove with Tim to to the uh, you know the cemetery where and then per, we got lost in uh, in the cemetery because it's a very big one where Walt Disney's buried. Um, very creepy, but Tim handled it well. I probably would have felt, you know, a little bit afraid if Tim hadn't been there. Well, that's conversation went into weird places. Uh, so, yeah, there was actually one bit of news from this week. Uh, we got a little mini-series announced for, uh, I think it's March and April. Uh, it's mm-hmm. kind of a follow-up to Lazarus Planet. 
Uh, it is a Wonder Woman and Shazam team up, uh, four issue bi weekly series. So it'll take place over mm-hmm. two months. And it is called Lazarus Planet Revenge of the Gods. And it'll be written by G. Willow Wilson with art by C. and Tormi. And uh, yeah. It, oh, yeah, it's all covered with it. Was, looks like it's going to be in like gold foil. Mm. And the cover looks really cool without the gold foil. So, um, and hey, G. Willow Wilson, we enjoyed. That short run on Wonder Woman. Oh, we did that, so. yeah, I did. Um, I uh, I liked it, yeah, because there's like a checklist that's popped up for mm-hmm. uh, Lazarus Planet, and it, obviously all those one shots that make up the main thing are January and February. So right. this, this little mini series, uh, which is also going to tie in a couple of issues on Wonder Woman. I don't know. Uh, I assume that's still the regular creative team on them, but I mean, we'll find out when we get solicits for yeah. March, I guess, because you know, for sure, we've only had up to what February. Yeah, I believe those were the last ones. I think I did January was the last ones I was on. So I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I wasn't super excited when I just heard, oh, Wonder Woman Shazam, yeah, I like those characters, but mm-hmm. th- this this was the sort of thing where I saw it and I thought, I bet this is that. The ones who did that, like, Titans uh, and Shazam crossover, like, a year or mm-hmm. two ago, I bet it's that. I bet it's that creative team. For some reason, I just get that vibe. It's going to be, like, Tim yeah. Sheridan and those people. Right. And I was like, oh, no, G. Rilla Wilson. Okay, all right, you've got my intention. Okay. Yeah. What is it? Let's let's have a look. Uh. So. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Uh. Oh, it's a cover with uh. What's her face? Yara. Was oh, there? Yeah, and, and Shazam together. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's. That looks like it's Gilla March though. It's not. Yeah, it's not a great cover. I'm not. I'm. I'm more yeah. just pointing out that it's, there's a different Wonder Woman involved as well. <laughs> right. Uh. But uh. Oh, okay. That's a good decent little bit of news. Uh, so, so, so yeah, fun. nice, nice little piece. Something for the spring. Uh, so cool. But uh, yeah, that's that's all the news. Uh, I mean, I'm surprised we even got anything this week, to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially since we're gonna. I mean, obviously we're gonna get solicits during December for March, but like December, I expect to be quiet just because it's December. You know, it's Christmas time. Everything mm-hmm. sort of starts to slow down. Uh, you know what's sitting in all the different news industries, TV news, movie news, it all starts slowing down. I mean, there was a bunch of trailers this week, admittedly. Uh, I think, yeah, one one really big trailer. I think it was Brazil Comic Con or something, but there was like there was a reason why there was like four big movie trailers in the same day. Uh, Matt's obviously talking about Transformers: Rise of the Beasts. <laughs> you almost got me there, Pete. Uh, I didn't even watch that one. <laughs> uh, like Transformers, that was a a, a franchise that. I will never forget having, when we did our old movie show, having to go pay to see the Mark Wahlberg one. And I was not happy. <laughs> I was not happy. Because they wouldn't take my free ticket. So I had to pay for it. Ugh. So, that said, uh, Bumblebee was pretty good, but this doesn't have the same creative team as Bumblebee. So, I'm I'm out. And the last time they teased with uh, Dinobots, right? They didn't show up till the last, like, what, 15 minutes of that one? I don't know, trust them. I know it's called, like, Rise of the Beasts or whatever. Um, I'm, not, I'm not falling for this again. There's a, there's a, yeah, there's a big ape robot. Yeah, Optimus Primal. Aye, of course that's yeah. his name. Yeah, and they got Cheetor, they got Rhinox. I was a big Beast Wars guy back in the day. Mm. But, uh, yeah, not, not falling for that one. Aye, so it was the, the Guardians Volume 3 trailer that you were excited about. Oh, actually, uh, no, it was Cocaine Bear. 
Because yeah, cocoon bear. Come on. That, that doesn't come seem on. like your sort of thing. Uh, yes. Yep. Which is a story that I was familiar with before. So, of course, once it went to production, people tagged me. And the poster has come out. People tagged me now with the trailer. So, yeah. Um, it's funny. My wife was, they made that my movie. Wife was like, That's not a real movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Let's watch the trailer. Uh, it's so. funny to me that they made a movie out of that meme with a bear mm-hmm. in the snow. Mm-hmm. But, apart, you know. Memes, memes, memes are going to have a better track record of movie adaptations than video games are at this point. It's, it's not. I don't think it's actually based off a meme. It's based off a true story. I know. I'm just joking, Matt. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I I wasn't sure. You said it with such conviction that I thought you thought. Uh. No. No, of course, of course, the trailer I'm talking about is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, or as Pete called it, Density. Well, yeah, George McFly, The Dial of Density. Yes. You got me good with that, and I was like, wait. Because first I read Destiny, just because my, my brain transposed it. And then I saw the George McFly. And I was like, ah, I see what he did there. <laughs> so. Oh, man. I'm not going to confirm nor deny if it made me tear up. But let's just say that it might have been in play. Uh, it's that music hit. Who we? We got Mads Mikkelsen looking. Playing a, playing a Nazi scientist, maybe. Um, de-aging effects on Harrison Ford. Who we? Let's go. I said to my wife, I gotta stay healthy till till June. So <laughs> they double gym. Uh, well, no, I, I'm gonna you know make sure that I make it to see Indiana Jones five. That's all. You know. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you feel something from it. I honestly think it looks yeah. bad. I just don't feel that much from it. It's just like yeah, it looks. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like a legacy sequel, which we're getting tons of these days in Hollywood. But it looks to me, as funny as enough as to say, like I, I stick up for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull a lot, even though I know it's, it's easily the worst of the Indiana Jones movies. However, this feels much more like the first three than that did, just with the look of it and the, you know, from what I can tell from the action sequences in the trailer, it has that vibe, which I think is okay because... I think Spielberg and Lucas were way too close to it. So getting Mangold's eyes, who, you know, still hasn't, those last couple movies have not let me down. They've been some of my favorite movies of the year they came out. So, especially like Ford vs. Ferrari, which I just went to see on a lark, you know, uh, ended up being one of my favorite movies of that year. Uh, and now he's working with my favorite character in all of media. Let's go. All right. Well... I mean, I think I think I'll be seeing it because I think on Collector's Cut we're going to do the whole franchise leading up to the new one coming out. Well, if you, so. if you need to, you need to tag someone in if my my recording fits in. <laughs> you don't I, have time schedule. to do extra shows. I don't, but I can make time for Indiana Jones. Maybe <laughs> what five weeks in a row? Not five. No, I'm talking about the new one. Oh, just the uh, new one. You don't want to be on the new four. I mean, if you if you want me to ramble about Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, I, I always. <laughs> Always. We never got to Indiana Jones on the old 1.21. Look at Matt trying to wrangle his way into another show, just so you could talk about Indiana Jones. I mean, I never really stopped talking about Indiana Jones. So, you know. Oh, Mm. man. Yeah, we watched Raiders the other weekend uh, just for, like, a comfort movie, and it still lands so good. The movie is still 42 years old. Do my math. 41? Yeah. So, oh man, still good. But yeah, 
Comics. Yes, comics, which I suppose we shall talk about now, as is the format of the show. Mm-hmm. Justice Society of America, issue one. Jeff Johns, writing with Mikkel Yannin on the art. So, obviously the big new number one of this week, they gave us something mm-hmm. that's not an annual on a week five, that's always nice. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah uh, obviously this is a very much a set-up issue. It is... Very much not the main Earth. It's not Earth Zero or Earth Prime or whatever we're calling it these days. Nope. Um, very quickly it sets up that this is a world where Batman and Catwoman will get together and have a daughter named Helena Wayne who will become Huntress uh-huh. and hunt down her father's killer at some point in the future. Uh, 26 years from now, to be precise, because it tells us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it sets up that she's working with her own new version of the GSA. And it's Who? a a scrub crew. It's an odd, oddball group, to say the least. Uh, she's working with Solemn Grundy, uh, the daughter of like the Golden Age Red Lantern. Right. So uh, essentially, essentially Jade, but the Red Lantern version. Yeah, yeah. Of, of Jade. Yeah, yeah. You got Icicle, um, three, I think, right? Um. So ah, it's, not... it's not the original icicle for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so... We have the Gentleman Ghost, we have the Harley Quinn Sun, and we have the Mist. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, a group of criminals, and then you get Power Girl, and Power Girl is not happy working with all these uh, weirdos. No. And, and at first, I was, I was like, Johns, what are we doing? Like, come on, man. Look at these the scrub team. Um, and then there's there's a reason for that later um, why it's it's the scrub team. Um, but I, I did enjoy how that unfolded because it's even Power Girl who's like, you know, constantly telling Helena, what are we doing with these guys? Like, they don't deserve to be here. Well, yeah, um, well, I mean, it, it just kind of, it kind of sets them up. But even with this weirdo team, it was kind of still like, okay, John's is still pulling from like deep yeah. DC lore, like sort of like give us this team. I, and I do like that uh, with, with Grundy. I like seeing Grundy there as like, you know, kind of like this Hulk figure. Um, and there, there's a line where they talk about, you know, when did you get, uh, Grundy and Helena's like, well, it was Monday. He's always born on a Monday. And so just playing with the whole Solomon Grundy thing. Um, I like that a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, Yannin's art and the full page spread that reveals that Grundy's working with her and he, you know, he holds up the, uh, uh I think it's Falcone, I think they say, but, yeah. uh, is Fal- Falcone's not usually bald, is he? No, it was the way I took as someone else that's not Carmine. Maybe it's one of the other Falcones. I suppose it uh, is in the future, so I suppose it should technically be yeah. like Carmine's son or something. Right. Yeah. Grandson, nephew, whoever. Uh, yeah. Whatever the, the lineage is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're investigating a murder. Uh, there's also a nice, there's a nice page actually where uh, it shows you kind of like all of the you know, all the Golden Age characters that these characters come from fighting a member yeah. of the original GSA. So you get this sort of black yeah. and white page of, like, uh, you know, Red Lantern fighting Green Lantern, uh, the original Mist, mm-hmm. you know, uh, going through a crowd, uh, Fate fighting the original Icicle, mm-hmm. so on and so on. Um, so, all cool stuff. It's just kind of interesting, though, when you get to, you know, like, Citizen or Gentleman Ghost, and it's like, yeah, he's he was, like, an enemy of the, the Hawks, and it's like, okay... Yeah. It's kind of interesting to hear about arch villains of the Golden Age Hawkman because, yeah, I don't know as much about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you never read John's Hawkman? Because Gentleman Ghost is in it for a little. No, he's Hawkman. No, I've never got okay. into that. Gotcha. 
Yeah, Gentleman Ghost, I think, is in the first the first arc setting up, you know, like who's the the Western version? I never remember the name, but that's who Gentleman Ghost first came up against uh, in the Hawkman form. So, um, but yeah, he's just a, it's a cool visual, too. And like Janet's art is, you know, drawing these characters that I've never seen him draw is is pretty cool. Yeah, there's there's a nice uh, clean look to Yannin's art that I really like, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously you've got older Selena, sort of not approving of what Helena's up to, uh, but they're, they're investigating a murder, and they go to investigate it, and immediately because they're like, wait, what, what actually killed, uh, you know, like this person? And so so fate went missing, right? And so Helena didn't Helena have a, a dream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fate. Yeah, Khalid's the one who's, like, missing, yeah. Right, miss- mm-hmm. um, but they're, they're investigating this body, and Power Girl starts getting sick, and, like, kind of just dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you sort of see what kills her, and it's like, uh, like, this, this manipulation of time, where she wasn't just exposed to kryptonite, she was exposed to kryptonite as if she was exposed to it for weeks, but in a matter of, like, two seconds, and then right. shot with a regular gun. And then all the characters get killed in kind of ways like that, where Icicle's, like, shattered, uh, the ghost has returned to being a human again, so he can be shot. Shot in the face, yeah. Yeah. That was brutal. Um, Yeah. And obviously, as this is happening, like, wait a minute, all these characters are dying? This is why it's, like, this weird C-list team, because they're all gone in the first issue. Uh, so, and Huntress is about to get it, too. It's actually a great full-page spread of Catwoman, like, jumping into the skylight to, like, save the day and uh throws at her daughter uh i presume something not too dissimilar to one of the time masters uh snow globe things because yeah yeah, that's what it looks like that's what it seemed like from flashpoint beyond yeah Um, Uh, and given that johns was involved in that i that that connection is not i think outrageous to make and and we know this is going to tie into the watchman type stuff too so it wouldn't surprise me if that has some like of the doc manhattan energy Mm. right so and that that's what you know because this feels this feels very metaverse adjacent at this point because we don't know what exactly earth this is but it's also playing off the idea that there is a an earth two if you will where helena wayne becomes huntress uh versus the you know bertinelli you know one that we always get yeah but Um, as worth mentioning here we don't know if this is earth two like the, no, that's what I mean. That's why I yeah. said Earth 2 kind of vibe because that's what they designated the Justice Society when they first crossed over in the Flash of Two Worlds um, or Flash of Two Earths. You know, was the JSA Earth was designated as Earth 2. Yeah. Um, but that's why there's these vibes because these are legacy characters to most of them are characters that we don't have familiarity with really, right? Like Red Lantern and Mist. Whoever Mist is, although... The Mist has the last name of Knight, which makes me wonder if they're related to Ted and Jack Knight, the, the Starman um, of, of that era. Um, and like Jack Knight, we haven't done anything with Jack Knight since the Robinson arc or arc series. So, yeah. you know, this might be a new a new night. So having all of these legacy characters, again, it feels very Justice Society, but we see why. Um, and also this villain, whoever this villain is, right? The redheaded per Degaton kind of vibey person um does mention the shot him with a luger which is a a german gun right mm-hmm. but the powers seem very similar to zoom when 
when Johns had created the Hunter's Allman version, right? Because remember, Zoom doesn't run, you know, with the Speed Force. He's stuck in this weird time loop, and he moves time forward around him, and that he has the appearance that he's moving fast. Um, and that's almost kind of what this power is like, except he has full control either direction. Um, uh, very, very interesting coming from Johns there. Yeah, uh, so the Snowball goes thrown to Huntress, and Huntress is shot back through time, and we see her going back, you know, past, like, you know, Jay Garrick, mm-hmm. past, uh, you know, other events in DC history, and then ultimately uh, landing in 1940 uh, next to Johnny Thunder. And I'll, clearly this is where the story is going to pick up, and this is why yep. we're, you know, we're going to have more normal, like, traditional Golden Age JSA characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I didn't really necessarily get an implication here, because Catwoman says you have to save the Justice Society, not this one uh, before the others, right? And it, it sounds like she's just sending her back in time to save the GSA, which is fine. Uh, but I do wonder if this is somehow going to like connect to the main Earth by like her actually of having traveled to, you know, like almost like this is not so much a different Earth, but this is like this is Earth Prime. If it went, you know, if it went wrong with the so, Justice Society, right? No, 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 no. If it went wrong, Matt. So, so she's saying. Oh, you're, you're talking about Huntresses, not where she ends up at. You're confusing this. So, okay. <laughs> Catwoman's sending her back to fix things. So, I'm right. suggesting that this future we see in this first issue mm-hmm. is the the wrong timeline. It's where right. things went bad. So that right. by fixing the JSA and saving them, uh, it will actually be just the regular Earth right. once it's saved. If that makes sense. D- Days of Future pa- uh, Past rules. Yeah. Th- th- think yeah. of this issue as the alternate 1985 and Back to the right. Future Part 2. Right. Right, right, right. right, right. Think, that's what I'm trying but to say. Also because it also gets confusing, though, because we still don't really have an answer of where the JSA have been through throughout time, which I'm sure we're, we're going to answer and whatnot. But you know, the Justice yeah. Society just showing up in Dark Crisis, you know, it just seems like they haven't always been there. Well, um, it wasn't Dark Crisis. It was before that. Was it? Was it in the? They were in Infinite Frontier and all that stuff. Like they, they, they were popping up already before that. Right. So I'm conflating it with the big page spread when they show up in like what was that? As you do. Yeah, yeah. That was before that. Yeah. They've been back for like a year before that at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, we still don't have concrete answers of how the timeline works, and maybe this is what gets us there. You know, and we get you know a time displacement interest. Very in possibly, there. yeah. I, I, it's. Know? Like, certainly it's going to be delving into maybe some stuff that will make it feel relevant to the main continuity by the, by its end. Um, right. But, I mean, I think this is the first issue. It was a very easy read. Uh, mm-hmm. It was very, like, hun- the, the voice for Huntress and her narration uh, was very smooth. Uh, she had this kind of angst to her, but not in an annoying Jason Todd kind of way. It was, no. you know... It, it, closer closer to Damien, if, if you will. Like, sure. I'm sure... Well, it's Batman's kids, so I mean, there's right. some logic um, to to that I, approach. Also, I like that there's a lot of bitterness from her about who killed her dad, and it's never really said. It was just like some guy who went and got more power. Well, to put the comparison in here, uh, if it's just some guy, and maybe if it turns out to be this guy that's killing the GSA or something, right. it won't, it won't, but at least right now, there's kind of some poetry to Batman being killed by a random thug that's not that important. Because it's kind of right. like Joe Chell killing his parents. It's not someone right. important. Well, it's not someone. Well, that's, and that's what I was going to say is that it's almost like she couldn't escape the fates, right? That her being the next Wayne, 
know means that it's going to repeat in some way. Um, and uh, she's very bitter about that because, you know, Batman did all of this other stuff, but it's some random dude trying to make a name for himself Although, who went and got soup, souped up uh, and took out Batman. I will say this, though. If I'm right that this is, like, just the bad timeline and that if she saves the mm-hmm. JSA, it'll fix the timeline, that would actually lead to her not existing. So maybe I'm wrong because then how do you deal with her? Is she, like, this weird, like... Hypertime. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like it's like Flashpoint, right? Yeah. Well, Flashpoint shouldn't exist either. Maybe that's what this her her grabbing onto that that um, snow globe does this weird pocket thing with Hypertime, so she'll be able to stick around this Earth or wherever. Because again, I feel like this is getting to metaverse type stuff by the end here, uh, because we're talking about characters that never existed yet Johns is writing about them like they're lost golden age characters because I also caught up on the the Stargirl book mm-hmm. and that's the other half of this Johns equation with the missing sidekicks you know they which are very similar lost in time kind of like uh Helena Wayne um so well I don't know if they're lost in time but they are lost and forgotten so um but but yeah I'm sure they'll they'll encroach on each other I'm sure if you're reading both of them, you'll get more out of it than reading one and than the other. But maybe a little. I don't see them connecting mm-hmm. too much, though. This this no, seems what, they're telling fairly separate stories. Like they'll have some overlapping things where you can still read them individually, but you don't need them. But if you're reading both of them, I'm sure you'll have a better understanding of all of this as we come out. Yeah. Um. I like this first issue a lot. I think it set up an interesting mm-hmm. story. I mean, it really. Sp- it, it, I mean, this issue did two things. It set up this villain, who is clearly a big deal and takes out this entire team, and it sets up her main character of Huntress of Helena Wayne, uh, and then obviously by the end sets up that she's going back in time. Obviously, next issue we'll actually get to see her interact with you know Jay Garrick, Alan Scott, you know mm-hmm. Hawkman, Wildcat, whoever. So, uh, but no. Yeah. There's also wasn't there a a they talk about something happens with the time to where Ted it's Ted's claws or something had impacted one of one of the former villains talks about that. And I thought that was a cool touch too. Um because it does show that these you know these characters had existed in a way that we remember, but you know, something had changed. I thought that was a, a fun little, you know, uh, story touch. Yeah. Um, so, no. And the book looks great. Uh, Mikhail Yannin's Jenny. art, but by, by and large, uh, is, is very clean and it gives it, and I think it's going to shine even more once we get to, uh, what's supposed to feel like this golden age era. Yeah. But e- even so far, like, I think his art suits costumes, like superhero costumes a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it'll really lend itself to the golden age outfits. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit. I think you get these nice flat colors that he tends to uh-huh. have in his art. There's two two characters I really want to see uh, in his art style, and and one is Jay Garrick, right? I want to see how he he does the helmet and and that stuff. And the other is is the Hawks, because I want to see you know the clean styles, because they are very pulpy looking. I mean, especially when Hawkman doesn't wear you know he just wears the the X vest with nothing underneath it. It's very barbarian pulp comic vibe and i think yeah uh, yannon will kill that so yeah, i'm definitely excited to see where the art goes but yeah the art in this issue was especially nice um so it's been a while since we've had yannon on a full issue right 
Because yeah. he was doing pieces. Yeah, he was doing parts of, like, event mm-hmm. books or whatever. Uh, there's a great page early on, actually. It's after the, the first scene with uh, Huntress interrogating the Falcone, uh, mm-hmm. where it's, like, a sort of reverse silhouette where her and Grundy are, like, jumping through the, the city. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the bottom of that page is this shot looking down on Huntress as she's standing on top of, like, a like the the tower of like a, a radio station you know it's, it's got the, the 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 red you know light up letters on this like radio tower and she's like standing at the top mm-hmm. and she's all doused in the red there's some really cool atmospheric stuff there's a lot of uh there's a good vibe coming off the book i would say yeah uh, and i'm i'm into it so uh, sure. i was expecting to like it and i think i do appreciate that this feels like a very specific focused story that doesn't feel like you know, I think when you generally say for a long time, oh, you want a GSA book, and there's so many things that your mind maybe jumps to what it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I like that this isn't just doing that. It's kind of got its own, very much its own contained story that it's just focusing on Helena as the main character. And but yeah, mm-hmm. the GSA is going to be there. They're going to be a big part of the story. And they're the, the, they're the focus of it. But yeah. it's not just doing, oh, the GSA are together. There's a threat. They're going to have to like figure out a way to fight it. No, it's different than that you know and it, and it definitely is playing on the idea of the jsa and legacy right because this this shoddy group that's put together they they even mentioned someone mentions that elena this this is not a justice society that is you know we're proud of you know it's come a long way from what it used to be so just the idea that she's going to get to go back with the original and she is a legacy in and of herself and that's why her her you know throwing power girl in there yeah, that's another because her her entire continuity and story is all over the damn place, you know. Um, so, but to to fit with that legacy, do I think uh, there's a lot going on here in just one issue? Yeah. All right. What are you giving? Uh, just Society of America issue one. How many of us are straight eight? Yeah. Um, I, I think the art's enough for me to go to the eight point five. I think on this. So there you go. Uh. I think I'll go with that. All right. Next up, we have Detective Comics Annual 2022, Ram V Writing, Raphael Albuquerque, Christopher Mitten, and Hayden Sherman on the R. So this is just one big story, because they're, they're not all one big story, the annuals, but this one is. And this uh, has a little bit of a bookend set up in the present day with uh, Gail and uh, the lady with the irises. Uh, what's her name? Uh, um, um, uh, Shavad. Shavad, there we go. Yeah. Keep wanting to say Shavana, I'm like, it's not Shavana. Yeah, Shavad. But they're looking into this old church that's underneath Arkham, because they've destroyed Arkham, right? They're tearing mm-hmm. that down, they're going to rebuild it in whatever form. And they're looking for this, uh... Well, I'll just say a MacGuffin. <laughs> There's like a magic yeah. light thing. Yeah! Underneath and it, and it seems uh, Arkham. like this is, this is going to be their, their power source for what they want to do going forward. Um... You know, it's a plot engine for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's this magic seed or whatever. But anyway, it was under Arkham uh, in this old church, and it leads to a story of how the Arkhams first came to Gotham, back when it was called uh, Gathome. <laughs> Gathome. Gathome? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Which, again, I, I like that it's playing off with the history of New York, because it looks like this very, you know, mixed, like, mixed culture settlement in the Northeast. You know, because you had, like, New York had a lot of these Dutch influences from the people that had settled there with the English, with everybody else, because it was a center of commerce. And with the name, like, Gotholm, it was giving me, like, New Amsterdam kind of vibes. 
Mm. Um, well, it's 1776, and it's uh, mm-hmm. so Gale's there because he's uh, obviously this immortal werewolf character right. or whatever, and it says all this stuff. But there's a lot of um, you know, there's a lot of similarities with present day that kind of appear. You know, there's this like you know, there's uh, the Wayne rights. notably yep. that first part of the name Wayne kind of sticks out mm-hmm. as uh, a parallel. Uh, but you've got this detective who is trying to solve this murder and they've been yeah. killed by a wolf, uh, but they've left a son behind, a son who saw them be killed. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. what are we doing here, Ram? <laughs> like, I could kind of see well, where you're going with some of this. And the detective is Detective Jardine, which is very close to Gordon. Uh, the, right? True, true. Yeah. Uh, so. And the guy who ends up taking care of the kid, uh, mm-hmm. very different name, but he does have the initials uh AP, which you know, right. Alfred Pennyworth, Alfred. right? Even though he looks a little bit like Bruce Wayne, he's got the dark features, long hair though. Um, so I was getting those vibes early. Yeah, but he, um, you know, he ends up becoming this bat vigilante type character in this backstory. So I'm a little mm-hmm. uh, like I like a, I think this story is well told, and I, I like kind of some of the theme, the thematic things that it's doing, but. I'm never necessarily all that into whenever there's like you know like I I was fine when it was like okay there was like in Gotham's like origin there is like mm-hmm. a a family who is like murdered but the son survives and it's like okay that's like a, something that can happen to multiple people mm-hmm. it thematically ties into Bruce in the future um but but by the end of the issue there's this kind of implication that because this like magic you know seed was planted right mm-hmm. as this character who had been in a, much like Alfred had fought in a war mm-hmm. uh, and was, yeah, in the revolution. Right. And now yeah. he describes himself as like, he's, he's like, you know, all that killing, it leaves kind of a demon in you, right? There's a demon in him and he's like, just yeah. sort of like pretending to be a man. And he's sort of like conflicted by that. And ultimately all these bad things happening, which is, you know, the Argum sort of intentionally goading people into hate so that they'll attack this woman they think is a witch who's a very much obviously Poison Ivy-esque type character uh-huh. and try to take down the, the, the noble cop who's trying to actually solve the murders because they want yeah. to like, control the power so- in Gotham. Well, hold on, I'm, I'm, get, I'm, yeah. I'm getting something here. So they want to control the power in Gotham and <clears throat> because they have planted the seed while they're doing all this and because in this same night, this mysterious character basically inspires uh, the Alfred to be the Batman of this time and go and intervene and fight the mob that are trying to kill the Poison Ivy character and go and f- protect the, uh, the the good Jim Gordon-esque cop who's trying to just do his job and investigate the crime. Mm-hmm. The implication of this issue is that that's basically put Gotham into this cycle where this seed keeps recreating the similar scenario over and over again, uh, ultimately leading to our present-day Batman. I'm not too fond of that as a concept because I hate the idea that Bruce is destined to be Batman. I don't like that. So I like for the the thing of because of it's it's the presence of Gotham and that Gotham requires a Dark Avenger, regardless of if it's Bruce or whoever, that that someone would rise up, right? And so when you're looking at these characters, you have the the healer lady that ends up, you know, looking like poison ivy. You have the raider who has, you know, makeup on half of his face. It was kind of like a two-face who wants to show the duality. Yeah, he's the one of, that's about to kill Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Right. So he wants, basically, he's about showing the duality of, of you know, the local government sucks, but so does the church. 
and you know no one's safe from us and that's the one i'm going to show so again he's trying to point out the duality of everything um and then you have gordon and so it's, it's these elements that are always at play in gotham and sometimes you know when it's bruce right things are more balanced towards that dark avenger but other times when you know let's say bruce isn't there who's to say what has happened before that has led to bruce you know that dark avenger almost keening prevalence with this thing i like it. it it reminded me of the stuff that i liked in the grant morrison return of bruce wayne without feeling hokey and you know um because to me it doesn't feel like bruce is destined it's just these are the scenarios that play out in gotham because of what what the orgums have done because they got interrupted I, no um, i like the idea that they have this influence that keeps repeating mm-hmm. um but i don't I just, I don't like this idea because it does feel like someone's fated to be a Batman. Because this may no mistake, it's not like this Dark Avenger in this time period isn't a Batman. Mm-hmm. He has a cowl. Yeah. There is a bat symbol iconography yeah. uh, after he does, you know, starts doing his thing. Um, th- there is a character who kind of, there's an implication that he's from the future and he's kind of inspiring this, which maybe you could sort of say is kind of your get out here where someone yeah. who knows about batman from the future is kind of used you know intentionally using this yeah or maybe it's the green speaking through the healer lady right because we know that the the green doesn't really subscribe to to you know space time as, as we do so um which character are you talking about that might be from the future uh the uh the the carriage driver the one that gives him the cloak and the cowl hmm Man, I read this early in the week, so I'm, I don't remember that part, but I'll have to revisit it. Um, <laughs> well, no, let me, well, let me get to it then, so yeah. I'll explain this in a bit more detail, because, uh, yeah, so he's, he's, he's fleeing with the boy, because the, the town's going to shit, he realizes it's getting dangerous, and maybe the boy shouldn't be around the town where he watches his parents get murdered. Mm-hmm. And this mysterious carriage driver is um, saying, okay, so we're, we're getting further away from, from Gotham, but you know, you're still mired in everything that happened there. It's still on your mind. You're still kind of obsessed by it. Um, and he's trying to get the kid away from violence. And he talks about, again, uh, there's nothing left in him but a demon in human skin. And the, the carriage driver's like, yeah, but that's true of the kid now too. Like, you're never going to like make him forget what he's witnessed and he's always going mm-hmm. to be in there. Um, so he basically, you know, he, you know this, this carriage driver is drawn very mysteriously. He's always in shadow, the hat's over his head. And eventually when he's saying, oh, you have to, you know, like, use this demon, you have to do something with it, the Alfred-esque character, the Alfred warrior, because he's a very butch guy, mm-hmm. um, he says, yeah. who are you? You know my name, blah, blah. And he says, I've got many names, but Mordecai is the one I take. Um, and then, blah, 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 that's the next part. Uh, I remember that part now. Yeah, yeah. With the Mordecai. And he says, you know, you have to intervene, and he hands him... A kill. I'm just. I'm looking for the line that made me think. Um, da 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 da. Well, there was this very specific line that made me think there was some future knowledge coming from him. Um, but I can't quite find it. Annoyingly. Oh, here we go. I uh, I am part of this scar. A phantom pain come from the future to remember the past. Gotcha. That's one of the things he says to him. Um. So, yeah. Uh. And then we get our big sort of moments where he comes like bursting through to save the Ivy character and his big cape and he's got his cowl. And he, yeah, he's got a bit more, obviously it's a bit more piratey looking uh, than you yeah. know, typical Batman, but it's very much a Batman and someone refers to him as a Batman. Uh, and you know, when we come back to the, the present day stuff uh, at the end, 
you've got Gail and uh, that saying, yeah, like th- this was the mistake. This infected our, you know, our seed or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And there's always this dark vigilante, so we have to fix this mistake. So again, it's this the idea that they're going to try and like take Batman out the, out the the game, out the equation, which. You know, it's fine. Like I appreciate kind of the the idea of going back and doing like the very like the the settlement of Gotham at the dawn of the country and all that stuff. And I appreciate thematically what this is doing. I just don't necessarily like the the two key elements that I brought up, which is the idea that this makes it feel like Bruce becoming Batman is not a random chance and one person's determination. It's playing into like the the tapestry of fate. I don't like that. And uh again anything that's like all this bat iconography before you know it's like no batman's batman because he was scared of a bat as a kid and he chose to use that as a symbol this idea that the the bat was always an important symbol long before bruce came along just devalues it for me i don't know i don't like that no yeah but again it was reminding me of the grant morrison return of bruce where there's been these bat elements all the way through gotham through time and then when you think about what ram v's doing too with that's in that's in tech right where he keeps seeing what's his name or uh, yeah and that comes up that that name comes up in this as well yeah so um yeah i'm looking up mordecai wayne and i get stuff for the return of bruce wayne as well so it, it can't be uh an accident oh so i'm maybe, sure not yeah maybe it is bruce going through time on his journey back after final crisis and that's who he's talking to. I don't know. I can't see Bruce just, you know, standing by, though, while all this happens. Um, yeah, and for the record, I don't like Return of Bruce Wayne. It's, I think it's the yeah. worst part of Grant Morrison's Batman run. I don't like it yeah. at all. I'd like the timey-wimey of it all, but it does not handle things very well. Um, the first couple issues I really, really enjoy, and then as it gets closer to him coming back, it really loses me. So, but yeah, I'm trying to find... If Mordecai was supposed to be Bruce, I can't find anything. But anyways, I like this issue a lot for a lot of that stuff where it was playing with some symbology of Gotham City, right? When you have the you have the Raiders and you have the the, the church, who's the you know at that time in the seventeen seventy six, this almost corrupt. It's kind of like the corrupt police force at play. Um, so then you have Two Face, who's not Two Face, but the, the Raider guy who's trying to, you know, show everybody the duality and why that's harming. So he's going to go and attack. And that's what the organs use, you know, as a wedge to, to drive these people, right? Is that the healing lady uh, is, is also healing one of the raiders because she's just trying to do what's right regardless, you know, and that's what she's in the, the church group led by that, that the, the pastor, whoever it is, you know, um, it's going to attack at the same time as the Raiders are. And it's this confluence events that if not for the new Bat character, you know, the Orgums would have succeeded all those years ago in 1776. So um, I just, I like the continuity of the Stark Avenger and Gotham regardless. Maybe putting him in a Bat costume is a little bit much. Maybe just have him dressed like Zorro, I think would have been a little bit of a better type vibe. Yeah, so I, would, I would have said. That's just me. I would have stayed away from any sort of bat-looking imagery. I think having the the ears that look bat-esque and then having like the bat mm-hmm. symbol in the sky as he's like coming over, you know, the town like, as it's burning. Like I, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I, I actively just immediately kind of lose interest because to me, mm-hmm. it cheapens 
it cheapens the core idea of Batman to like mm-hmm. be like. So it's the same with the other characters for the record as well. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want it like you know Clark to be destined to be Superman. Like he's Superman because of these events okay. that lead to it. Right. You know, like uh, and so on and so on. This idea that someone's always going to become uh, this, it was always predestined. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of the least interesting things you could do to any story to me, unless it was always part of the story to begin with. Is that it was like right. a, a destiny thing in the first place. Uh, right. Well, let's see how it plays out. Usually, B has a has a way about things. I mean, I've been enjoying right. the run, and I'm sure I'm going to enjoy all all the things that actually like take place in the story. All the fight between Batman and the Argums. I'm sure I'm going to be into most of it because I've been. It's been pretty great throughout uh, so far, and the way it's building to it and teasing like this 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 conflict has been exceptional. And I still think this does build the conflict, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I fundamentally just don't like doing this with the character of Batman. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't I have the same problem, so yeah. But, you know, it was still a... I liked what I read, uh, for the most part, so... Well, it wasn't poorly written by any means. Yeah. It's just, it's just some yeah. key choices mm-hmm. that I just don't like. Yeah, I'm waiting to see what the payoff is with, with uh, Barbados. To see if that's, you know, also one of the things that plays in with the Orgums. You know, because if, if it's Bruce having to embrace this kind of darkness in order to overcome them, you know, and whatever that means, I don't think it's lethal exactly, but it's it's Bruce having to maybe get in touch with his darker side, you know, the more vengeful side, um, and in the cycle, I don't know. Yeah. Um. What did you make of the the art? I think it's fine. It it's not like. For the different artists, it's it's not as jarring. It you know it the Albuquerque stuff. He did the main thing, right? The main, um, like back in time story. I don't. Or did he do the wraparounds? I don't necessarily think he did do the back in time because there's some. Okay. There's definitely a lot of it that does not look Albuquerque to me. Yeah, there's. I was gonna say it's a different art style if it is Albuquerque. Yeah, um, no, I don't think it is Albuquerque. Okay. No, not for the not for the, the the main flashback stuff. I think uh, if Earth and Albuquerque might just be doing the yeah the wraparound. wraparound. Yeah. So yeah, it's fine. It's not like it's not amazing. It's not terrible. You know, it's it's there. It's feasible. Yeah, the color palette's pretty decent and fits mm-hmm. the time period and makes it feel like yeah. an old timey story. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know the line work I do think is a little. On the squiggly, all on the sketchy side yeah. at times. Uh, you know, it's kind of sketchy and flat at the same time, which I don't necessarily think uh, looks amazing. Um, it's it, it just just simple things of like it'll sometimes faces just look really flat and like stretched out, like sort of horizontally in, in a way, just to try. And there'll be details drawn on it, but they won't be drawn on in a way that feels like it's adding depth. It just feels like it's adding extra bits to it. I don't know if that makes any sense, but... No, like I said, they're, they're a little bit squiggly. You know, like, the, the art, they're not as clean lines, but, like, so, but they're not exactly sketchy either. So, um, it's definitely a, a, a choice. Yeah, so... No, I actually really like how it's told, which is a shame, because I think the writing's solid. It's just, uh, mm-hmm. I just don't kind of like what it does with, uh, you're this inserting Batman myth into like pre-Batman days. I just I'm never that fond of it. 
You know, same with, yeah. uh, like, I, I know I'm really enjoying Tom King's Gotham year one, but the one thing I don't like about that is the, the whole Batman thing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so looking, fine. Uh, Mordecai was Bruce. And as he was going through time. Okay. Okay. So, well, yeah. Well, that's a little better, at least, that it's, it comes yeah. from Bruce himself. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. But again, Mordecai, the, we're talking about different time periods because when he shows up, it's Pilgrim days, right? He's back in the 1600s, not the 17. So hopefully we get some clarification through this. And we know with, with the stuff with the Orgums, it is kind of, there's some magic-y stuff involved. I mean, he's going to fight a werewolf at one point. So um, Yeah, I don't know if we all get clarification. I, I don't necessarily think it'll come back to any of this, really. No? Uh well, it's an annual. I think it's here for flavor, and it's here to like add a bit to the backstory. But I don't think it's necessarily going to be like super important uh, outside of just the the tease of oh. things to come. Yeah. Um, yeah. The idea, the idea that Bruce is the one that hands him something that looks like a bat outfit. Uh, yeah. And maybe if I just read Return of Bruce Wayne recently, I might have like caught this. Um, but to be fair, at least I caught that it was someone from the future because I I got True. that vibe. Uh, True. But. You know, I've not read Return of Persuade since like two thousand, you know, nine or, mm-hmm. or whatever, and I didn't like it very much. And uh, I've not really wanted to return to it. Clearly, Ram V probably likes it. That's why he's done yeah. this. He, he's tied into it because he does like that story. True. But uh, I was I was never that hot on it. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I I love uh, you know, Morrison's uh, Dick and Damien stuff. I you know I like the actual build up to R.I.P. Mm-hmm. But uh, Return of Persuade just never. I never did it for me. I just yeah, I don't know. It's definitely in the the other edge of Morrison, the trippier side. Yeah, you know, as it goes. So, oh well, uh, it is what it is. I, and for the record, this doesn't diminish my enthusiasm for the run by any means. It's just yeah. uh it's one of those things where this was just never going to be to my taste, and fundamentally, it was never going to get over that. I don't think overall. <laughs> so, uh, as Matt. Is Sorry. a c- cacophony of sounds this week. Uh, what <laughs> what are you rating Detective Comics? I'm gonna give this a seven point five. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go with a six. Uh, I appreciate the craft in it, and particularly, I do like the idea of like, uh, the build to the organs really like you know it's like oh we're going to remove the bat because this idea of the vigilante has always been a problem. Uh, that is fine, but. Uh, I just, you know, I don't like Return to Bruce Wayne. I don't really like uh, bat-related stuff showing up. And I, I think that was the other thing. I think, like, it was one thing when it was like, okay, so these two parents, you know, died, their kids mm-hmm. left, they witnessed it. There's an Alfred-like character. There's all these parallel characters to the future. I think by the time you have someone putting on a vigilante outfit and being this generation's Batman, it's just a bit mm-hmm. too much for me and a bit too on the nose. So... Uh, yeah, just... I, it would have worked better for me if he wasn't dressed like Batman. If yeah. it was again, if it was more Zorro with the him wearing like the the you know when they put the mask on, but it's like a bandana over the head, that kind of vibe. Um, I, I would have even just like not had a costume. I think just the idea of someone choosing to intervene being mm-hmm. this kind of catalyst for yeah. there's always going to be someone who stands against like the corruption and right. that just being that simple. I think that would have been more powerful to me than having right. another costume character. Because to me, yeah. it's like, 
No, Save the Superheroes is the modern, like, you know, yeah. invention kind of thing. Yeah, but, the, the uh, bat ears on the suit were a little bit for me. Yeah. I would say bat ears, it's kind of like a pirate hat that just kind of yeah. peaks at the right bits. But, <laughs> but it gives the silhouette of Batman. It does, yeah. It makes like, look, at look, the cover, look at the cover, you know. Yeah. Tell me that's not Batman on the cover of this annual, you know. So, so there you go, that's Detective Comics. Uh, Nightwing Annual 2022. Uh, we got Tom Taylor and Eduardo Pansica on the main story. Obviously, there's other teams on yes. the others. Uh, but we'll we'll get into the Nightwing Annual here. This and... main story for the origin of Heartless, which I had seen Tom Taylor talk about writing the last issue of Nightwing with with Nightmite, and this back to back almost gave him whiplash because the tones. Um, I was not ready for this origin of Heartless to be what it was. And I kind of love it for that. Yeah, it was this dark story of... Uh, so, we're basically getting this narration from a butler. And for a, maybe a split second, you're like, wait, is this like flashing back to when Alfred first mm-hmm. met the Waynes or something? And it's not. It's not that at all. Mm-hmm. So this uh, butler comes to this house uh, of this family, uh, Chamberlain, and... We find out just a couple pages in after we see their kid uh, trying to kill his cat, uh, which by you, by the way, f you, kid, like you're instantly on my my shit list. Uh, but we get this quick flashback that shows us that no, the the real guy who was supposed to be the butler uh, was killed by this imposter on the boat on the way here because this guy was fleeing London. Um, ha- had this been set, you know, another fifty, sixty years prior well, but maybe more than that i had been like is this guy jack the ripper is that what they're getting at because he says he says yeah. oh people are looking How for me in london but he, specifically, yeah. he specifically says london though and i was like yeah. you know what that's jack the ripper vibes it's the wrong time period so it's definitely not but it, yeah. just, it, 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 it tickled my brain uh yeah. but anyway so it's like okay so this serial killer is in person in this butler and his plan was to get himself in the will of this family and then kill them all <laughs> that was what he was going yep. to but he finds this kid who is a serial killer in the making. This kid, you know, is kind of like a young Dexter who is fascinated by death and butchering animals. And st- yeah, yeah. He, he feels a kinship with this kid. Yeah, uh, this is so like, creepy. This, so creepy. This is like this is like Jack the Ripper like running into a ten-year-old Michael Myers and being yes. like, "Bro, I was just gonna say Michael Myers. <laughs> I could train because that's you. what the kid is. Because the this Butler character is constantly saying how." The kid doesn't really like it. Acts acts like no one's there, right? And it isn't until they, you know, the kid sees something that it makes it click. Yeah, because now uh, I was getting Michael Myers vibes for sure. Yeah, behind the parents' back, he's taking the kid to like a butcher shop to see a pig be gutted. He takes him mm-hmm. to a zoo to see feeding time. But it's not until they have him to go to the circus and young heartless this kid who obviously the kid's heartless, right? So that wasn't obvious. <laughs> The kid witnesses the death of the Graysons because this is one of the things I was I was a little worried because the first page like you know it's this like this, the big page of the 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 Graysons falling off the the yeah. wire, and I was thinking oh god like Taylor don't you try and retcon like Heartless into the backstory to but, to Zuko or whatever yeah, yeah yeah like I really didn't want that but yeah. the idea that he was just like in the audience and just saw it and that was like a big deal for him because he like like this was the first time he saw like a he, human die and then the, he craves death well it's not even just that yeah. it's, it's the pain on uh dick's mm-hmm. like face yep. you know it's like seeing this kid distraught because he just lost his parents like like the the panel i'm looking at right now where his eyes are like white is he smiling and his eyes are lighting up 
uh like it's like oh and then he talks for the first time and he like he talks about how great it was seeing someone be in pain that they just lost their parents in front the, of them the, the line too is like did you see them hit the ground and you're like jeez kid like hooey and he's um, so proud like the you know yeah. the butler is like yeah yeah like sociopath yeah don't tell your parents yeah. about this it actually ties into <laughs> to a, a flashback from an earlier issue yeah so so you find out that this kid's dad works for a or, or owns a um an insurance company and that the insurance company makes tons of money because he's constantly denying people care right um and then we get to the flashback and so uh, did I pull up my issue of Nightwing 78 to double check all of this? <laughs> you, you bet your sweet butt I did. Well, I, this uh, is the thing. I had this weird moment of, because he's, like, he's a bit older. He's in, like, you know, middle school or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where he's being bullied by, or he's, like, he's kind of like the ringleader now, and he's, like, got these other kids bullying someone. And this red-headed girl walks up, and I'm like, this seems familiar. My, my gut is telling me that's Babs as a kid. And then next page it's Dick, and then there's like an editor's note saying, "Hey, see how this played out in full in Nightwing." I was like, "Yeah, this was a fl- this was a flashback to like Dick yeah. when he was stopping a and, bully." And I like that it, though it's from Young Heartless's point of view, but then when you go and read, you know, seventy eight, mm. it's all Dick's point of view and how he dealt with it. So it's a, a very like kind of Rashomon thing of the way that we see it here. You know, it's it's still the kid was being a bully. Because that's what he likes, right? He he likes to make people feel bad. Um, but when you see it from Dick's point of view, it's very much this superhero-y kind of trope of of him moving quickly and whatever, whereas here it's all very kind of passive. It's real fun. This is why I like Tom Taylor as a writer, because you can tell he's always trying to tinker with things. Yeah, uh, and because the kid's actually talking to his parents now and acting a bit more normal, uh, at least pretending to be... He actually yeah. gets put in his parents' will, finally, which I would have thought he would have been in his will, their will anyway, but I guess yeah. they were being stingy up until this point. Yep. Uh, I actually love this, that the butler planted a bomb in the, the parents' helicopter, but didn't intend for the kid to be there. So this idea that he almost murdered his protege, and then like was like pulling him out of the wreckage, saying, sorry, 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 and it led to you know, the surgery where he had to like you know get a heart transplant and all the rest of it. This was like... The idea that this 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 brutal killer actually cared about this young kid protege because he saw like some beautiful serial killer in him, and almost murdered them by accident and panicked because he thought he'd killed them and then was relieved to like save him and that's why because you know, we've seen him have this butler in the future you know in the present day where he's he's uh you know he's there for him he's the one like swapping his hearts out for him you know he's yep. so on uh so this set all this up and. It, you know, so it, it gives you a story where he got his arms replaced to be strong. He's got, obviously, he's got the heart, uh, and then eventually, you know, this idea that maybe the the blockbuster heart is the first heart that's going to be big enough to actually not need replaced because it's going to be powerful enough to actually deal with all of his enhancements mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But, I you know, do we- like that that the idea that he is kind of like Tony Stark without the uh, without the arc reactor is that he needs like a strong heart in order to power all these enhancements. And so it finally it comes to wanting, you know, needing blockbusters in order to, to work. I thought that was a, a fun little twist. Yeah, but I think it's important, though, that he liked, like, causing pain and killing people before mm-hmm. he needed a heart. Because I think yeah. it becomes this this metaphor that he's literally, 
he enjoys the pain he causes not just physically but he enjoys the pain yeah. he causes in the loved ones so we even see his heartless he takes out like a a homeless guy's heart and the kids are there and i think it's, this may yeah. even be the kids that we saw back in the first arc of the run um but it's, so it's this metaphor that he's literally taking hearts you know he's causing right. heartache to people mm-hmm. uh so yeah so it's, it's setting up that he like and he knows nightwing's dick grayson seemingly because he the, the final line is the butler as he's putting in blockbuster's heart says you're going to get to watch dick grayson lose everything again this idea that he is obsessed with dick grayson because dick grayson's pain over his parents death was mm-hmm. the thing that kind of started his real love of this type of torture right. which which even if he doesn't know that dick's nightwing dick is still a public figure that's trying to change, yeah, true. change yeah. blood haven for the better and so that's the ultimate thing if he can take away him making blood haven for the better that's his ultimate win and so i like that it works on different levels too it's like we always say that dick's the heart of the dcu Right, and so what? What happens when Heartless tries to break him? And there's um, also a nice little touch here as well of uh, like Batman's always been obsessed with his parents' death. I love the idea yeah. that Dick's new arch nemesis is the one obsessed with Dick's parents' death, not Dick himself. Right. Uh, right. It means well, not that it did, obviously it still means something to Dick, but mm-hmm. it almost means more to Heartless. Yeah, it does because it's it's Heartless's uh, inciting incident. Right, it, it's like in, in the uh, same way that Bruce's parents dying is his inciting incident that started him on that thing. It same for Heartless. Yeah, it's just like if you're a foot fetish that 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 first time you saw someone's feet and you went, "Oh, this is awoken something in me." God, Pete. Uh, I understand why you went there, but you didn't have to. Hey, uh, I just picked a common one. All right, like Tarantino, yeah. the first time you saw a woman's feet, I was gonna feet, bring that up. I just went. Oh. it's the one thing i remember the most from once upon a time in hollywood are all the dirty feet and going like tarantino we get it bud you didn't have to you didn't have to go that hard all right hey don't king shame he's allowed to like feet. i'm not but like watching dirty feet on the big screen is not not a good time for me what right? him and a consensual adult with feet get up to is their business <laughs> I feel like I'm not shaving QT, okay? I'm just not. I'm just saying, it was a little much for me. <laughs> That's all. Oh, dear. Um, so, yes. Now, the main story here, that this origin of Heartless mm-hmm. was great. It was essential to the run, so I would say this annual is actually really important yeah. to for the run. Well, and just the, just the way that this is you know, one story and the other, and, and then there's two more. This tells me this almost could have been issue whatever is next. And we just would have stopped what we were doing and gotten the origin of, of Heartless, and it would have fit in. Yeah, no, no I mean, this this could have just been a regular issue, and mm-hmm. perhaps it was just like, okay, they want an annual, I'll just put this yeah. fairly standalone story into mm-hmm. the annual, and then there can be yeah. some backups. This, yeah, this story is definitely getting included in the trade whenever yeah. it comes out. And, and probably in order on top of it so so yeah i imagine um, so yeah yeah but no it's really really good um it it is a perfect you know like i don't want to say like because to me bruce really doesn't have that perfect villain because all the villains are kind of aspects uh of of gotham but here here with with heartless and dick it really is the yin to his yang and i really love that i really oh. love that taylor has worked with this and that it's a it's a rich kid that felt entitled to things, or is 
dick is this kid that came onto, you know, wealth and is just trying to do right by Bloodhaven and Gotham and the world and of itself. Um, yeah, I think so, the yeah. majority of the world would disagree with you that Batman doesn't have like a main arch nemesis. But I'm not gonna say that. I'm talking about one that is so like his opposite, right? Like I don't feel like Dude. Joker is Batman's complete opposite. He absolutely is. We uh, thought about it. Order know. versus chaos, light versus dark, uh, <sighs> dour and moody versus happy and. I don't know. I I think there's Kelly. a compliment for, for Batman <laughs> is that he is such a rich rogues gallery. But there's oh, he, multiple. Yeah, he absolutely you know? does. Yeah, but so it, there's not just the one that comes to mind because to me the his opposite is is Talia Al Ghul. So you know, in the way that it's heartless and Dick in that way. So. Um, which I felt like Dick really didn't have that. Like Blockbuster was like one of his main villains for a while, but it never felt like there was this emotional tie to it. So to see this stuff with Heartless, I definitely feel like Dick has a uh, has a good addition to his Rogues Gallery here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's nice, you know. Between you know, obviously we had Raptor from Rebirth. Now mm-hmm. we got Heartless. Obviously, Blockbuster's always been a recurring villain. It's nice that there is a bit of a gallery forming for Dick mm-hmm. in, in some way. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, I mean, it remains to be seen if, if, if he sort of stands the test of actually feeling like the true nemesis, because I do think Joker is Batman's, like, big true nemesis, in the same mm-hmm. way that Lex, no matter how many Zods yeah. and metals you throw at Superman, Lex is always going to be the main arch nemesis of Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the rogues are obviously great in the Flash, but I think Reverse Flash is always going to be seen as the you know, Sinesh was always going to be the Green Lantern, even though he's kind of right. more of an anti-hero now, but you know, whatever. Right. Uh, like, and not every character has that. I think... Yeah. I've always struggled with Spider-Man, for example, to say who's the arch... That, I mean, I guess the go-to is Green Goblin, but I don't know if he feels like he's... Yeah, but sometimes it also feels like it's Venom, right? Yeah. Like, when the symbiote's, you know, doing evil things, not, not being an anti-hero. Do you know what that kind of feels like to me? It feels like with Spider-Man... Venom's got the the popularity that Joker has, mm-hmm. but yeah. he's not really the arch nemesis. It was kind of yeah. Green Goblin. So there's this weird kind of split between them where they both have yeah. part of that aura. Whereas with Joker or Lex Luthor, they're both kind of the main popular one, but also the one that feels like the true arch nemesis right. to the character. Well, because I'm, I'm sure if you talk to Dan Slott, he would be like, oh no, it, it's Otto Octavius. It's and some people, so yeah, some people would argue Otto you know? Octavius. Um, so, because Dan Slott had that whole, you know, all that whole arc where Otto was living in Peter's brain, and people didn't really realize, right? oh, they didn't catch on. So, Doc Ock is to Spider-Man what Two Face is to Batman. Yeah, I would definitely agree there. That's my that's my summary, and obviously, uh, Black Cat is the Catwoman, but that that one's actually quite shameful. <laughs> like yes. that's it's, it's so blatantly Catwoman. <laughs> yes. Whereas I don't She's... think I don't think Doc Ock in any way rips off Two Face. I just think no. that you can make the parallel that they kind well, of, of of the former friend and ally yeah. that's gone to the dark but, side. But it also you want to ju- help them, not defeat them. But there's also a bit of a Jekyll know? and Hyde thing. There's like a chance yeah. of redemption. You know, mm-hmm. there's you know, there's there's, there's, there's yeah. those things there. Uh, For sure. Whereas, you know, Black Cat, I think this first time I ever saw her went, well, who's this knockoff Catwoman? And who's this fake Catwoman? Yeah, yeah, and every time I've ever seen her or read a story about her, or she popped up in the video game, I'm like, you're just his Catwoman. That's all you yeah. are. Except she's even more so, because I buy the Selena and Bruce antagonism, because, mm. you know, they're both, it's the whole rooftop story that King did, right? Like, she she runs because he chases her, and, and whatever. 
I feel like with with Catwoman or Catwoman with Black Cat, it's just she is constantly just trying to. She's all horned up trying to get to Spider Man, you know. And Spider Man's always like, "All right, lady." Like even those missions in the game that always involved like pictures and stuff. Yeah, I'm not. Like yeah. I'm not sure that like you can sort of compare all the rules gallery to Batman no. and sort of say who's who. I think some of them would be quite tough to sort of like because because mm-hmm. Venom, like as much as I'm saying he's got the popularity of Joker, he's I don't know he's more like it's like part Bane and part mm-hmm. something else. I don't even know. Yeah. So they, they don't... well, you just you just look at what what they represent, and that's what, how I kind of go go with them. You know. Um, yeah. But but yeah. Uh, but no, Spider-Man, you know, we could have done this with Flash as well. Not, you know, it's easy to do it with Spider-Man because it's Marvel and it's a different company. But, you know, Flash has some very similar type of vibes that you could say, oh, well, this one is or this is what this one represents or whatever. So uh, it's just it's, you know, it shows how good these villains are for for the heroes that we can have a long discussion. Well, they're good here. ones anyway. Yeah. 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 So, and it feels nice that, that Dick's finally growing that because for the longest time it almost felt like Batman's shadow was his greatest nemesis and now I feel like we're finally out of that and Dick's being able to stand on his own and um, you know have people like Heartless and even Blockbuster and I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that have popped up but I'm drawing a blank um, I, I I mean I would argue Rick Grayson is probably his biggest threat <laughs> but that's me so. Uh, so Dan Didio no Dan Didio is his arch nemesis in the way that Barbados is. Uh, I mean, we've made that joke many times before. Yes. That's not. That's not pretend. Yeah, it's uh, fun. He doesn't have a job anymore, so it doesn't matter. So the second story is called Night Out. It is uh, Jay Kristoff writing with Eduardo Pansica again on the art, bizarrely. Um, so this is. I, I was wondering what the hell was going on in this because it's, yep. you, know, you know. So so Babs looks surprised his dick with like let's go out for a date kind of thing. He gets dressed, and Haley the dog is upset that Dick's leaving. And well, Babs and Dick are out. A team of villains attack, but it's like an old school Catwoman, and like Poison Ivy's yeah. a villain here. It's like this, this doesn't make any sense. I, like, Ivy two, and and Freeze working with them. You're like, what is going on? Yeah, the, two of these characters have not been villains really in a long yeah. time. What's going on? Uh, but it turns out this is all just a dream, or this is like all the fantasy that. Uh, that Haley's having, where Haley shows up to see. You think it's Batman from the skylight, but it's actually Haley in a different Nightwing outfit yeah. that she had in the last, uh, you know, the the, the Nightmate story. Yeah. Uh, she's got like a, a Nightwing like sort of outfit on, and saves the day. Um, but the, and obviously it becomes clear that it's just the, the dog's dream because she's getting praised as a good doggo. Like the like the mayor's, you know. Dick sisters like, ah, oh, Haley's the best doggo. And initial cat day has been cancelled yeah, because Haley's, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was reading, I was like, what is going on? Like, I know it's not Tom Taylor writing, but man, this writing's kind of like, ah. Uh, and then when you realize it's the dog's point of view, it really clicks in, um, because Dick also says that every time that he leaves Haley, she has separation anxiety and tears up his apartment. You know, and so you see at the end when he comes back, you know. All yeah, of the stuff that she's chewed up is kind of represented of the little adventure she had in yeah, her Yeah, basically, she, yeah, she was imagining this happening mm-hmm. and she was, like, tearing things apart with yeah. her teeth as if she was fighting yeah. bad guys. Like, that's... Oof. Also, going back and, and looking through Nightwing 78, that's where she first comes up and her introduction is still so heartbreaking. Mm. And it's like, if I didn't love Dick Grayson as much as I did, him rescuing a three-legged dog 
on top of it is just enough, you know. Um, but yeah, I forgot how like how I don't say brutal, but jarring that is because right after you know when you get introduced to her, she's she's on the run from this group of miscreants. So um, but yeah, it was a fun little story. Like definitely, this feels like it's an annual story. It's a, yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's an annual backup. There's no d- yeah. denying that, but it's it's kind of sweet at the end when you realize what it's actually been. Yep. Um, yeah, the dog does actually destroy both a Nintendo Switch and a PS5 controller. I noticed on that that page where they find her. Mm-hmm. Uh, those PS5 controllers are like you know sixty seventy dollars, but that's that's a that's a pricey. Yeah, mistake. He's a billionaire though, so it'll be fine. He can. Yeah. It's nothing. Although if he can get one, I don't know. I don't know how the PS5 is working. Is it still hard to get? You know? Um I mean I don't think it's hard to get a controller on its own. You can buy a yeah. controller. Uh okay. but you know. Uh so then the uh the, the last story here is the lesson. Uh, this is written by CS Picat and uh, art by Anaki Miranda. And and this is basically a story of John uh, coming to Aztec for help uh, to mm-hmm. be trained because this is after he's accidentally hurt someone and he wants to learn how to control himself and not do that anymore and you see some scenes of like uh batman training dick when he was a kid mm-hmm. and the whole point of the story more than anything is just to show how dick learned from batman but he's learned to do the opposite <laughs> of what batman did when he was training him so right. we see batman saying don't trust anyone no practice do it over and over again get up um and then the but, you know, the very next panel is like no uh Learn to trust people, John. And this is why you do this. And then you know, it's, it shows that Dick Grayson's very coachable, right? Because he learned from Batman of what works and what doesn't. Now he he knows what works with John, you know, uh, and, and it shows his mentorship here. Which again, I always love that. Like I love that that you know Superman was also Dick's mentor in a way that Bruce wasn't because Bruce is like his dad figure. Um, where Superman got to be like cool uncle that you learn stuff from that like takes you fishing and you know shows you how to tie a, a knot in the line and whatever uh, and now dick gets to repay that with you know his cousin um and be his cousin's mentor yeah um and it just sort of ends with almost like a kind of a heartfelt punchline which is john saying you know where did you learn to train you're very good at this you know as a, as a teacher <laughs> and he says i learned it from batman and then you know the, the last panel is batman lifting dick up off the ground saying again and it's just it's just this kind of you know dichotomy uh, of like the differences between the characters and you know is it, I, I guess I appreciate that the, the backup stories kind of tried to focus on different things that this run has been making important to Dick one being the dog and Bab's relationship with him but also one being that he is this mentor for John and that's been something mm-hmm. that's been brought up in you know both Nightwing and Superman Son of Kal-El so mm-hmm. I appreciate the idea that John and him are friends and that Dick's kind of like a big brother to him is kind of sweet and I appreciate yeah. that. The story itself, you know, it's just a lot of jokes where they're training about how quick John's doing things because he's got super speed mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Right. There's not much to it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the two backups, they feel like backups. So they're not really, yeah. I wouldn't say they're that must read, but the main story is worth reading and there are decent enough reads to follow up it. So, yeah, I would say that the, the main story, even though it is a typical length, is kind of worse, uh, worse, <laughs> worth the price on the cover in and of itself. It seems sure, like it's a crucial yeah. piece of the of the arc. So, but yeah, the backups I I've definitely read worse backups in annuals. Yeah, you know at least these have the tone of what Taylor's Nightwing's been doing, even though he didn't write the backups. So yeah, that basically sums it up. Uh, but the main story is really good and is is essential to the run, and the backups are are are, are fun for what they are, and 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what are you giving Nightwing Annual 2022? Um, I'm going to give this one an 8.5. And I know that seems crazy, because we said about backups, but I enjoyed that Heartless story that much. And I, the Vincinka art, you know. I mean, if you love the main this. story, I think it's fair to say the backups yeah. don't factor into the rating that much. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I would I would also agree with the eight point five I think because the backup uh, the, the main story is so good uh, and the backups are, mm-hmm. are solid for what they are yeah but, um you know if I, if I was if I was separating it, it'd be like eight point five for the main story and then the backups are like ah oh, they're both fine sevens or yeah they're about seven six point five around yeah. that yeah so there you go that's uh, that's the eight wing annual. Mm-hmm. Superman Kal-El Returns Special Issue One uh, various teams because it's like, you know it's like four stories and all that different yeah on it so i'll just tell you as we're going uh, there's a lot of names in that cover there's like a list of like 10 names it takes up a good quarter it looks <laughs> like of that of that corner yeah so. do you know what's so weird about this the special is that i was expecting that the main story would be either taylor because it ties into superman cycle or b johnson because it ties into action instead <laughs> the main story or the first story at least is by wade and ties into an upcoming story in world's finest, world's finest which i was yeah. not expecting and then the rest of the stories are just kind of all just backup a style this, material. This is very much a grab bag. Like, again, I, I got it, of course, because it's Superman and I read it. But yeah, it kind of left me kind of disappointed that these are the stories that we were Yeah, I, I have to agree. This, like, I, I did enjoy the Wade story and I like mm-hmm. that it's teasing that Mr. Nobody from Doom Patrol is going to be a villain in an upcoming World's Finest arc. I, that sounds so, like a blast. So, yeah, you're way more uh, into the Doom Patrol than I am. What is this with? Because it's very Morrison-y, right? Yes. Like this whole concept <laughs> of Mister Nobody, and he he attacks using surreality, and so you know, I had a hard time wrapping my brain around that. Like, so I mean, what, what it, is exactly Mister Nobody's deal? Oh God, uh, Sparrow's have read the Morrison okay. issues, and obviously he's in the TV show as well. But I mean, yeah. Uh, from what I remember, he like he's he's got like an extra tool here that he's using. He's got like this magic okay. wand. Uh, or yeah. not a wand, why is a wand? From history, it's... it's a baton from a famous uh, performance that drew the crowd into a Yeah, light a conductor's so uh, baton. thing. Baton. Who yeah. calls that a baton, Matt? That's what they called it in the the book. <laughs> I've never heard anyone call it a baton before. I didn't either. I'm basing it off of that. There's, there's a word. It's not a wand, though. It's like, um... I'm going to look this up. What's it called with, with, uh, with wizard? I can't even talk right now. Am I having a stroke? I hope not. A weather wizard. What do they call his thing? Is it the wand? That's, that's just a wand, yeah. But, yeah. He's, but he's a wizard. Of course it's a wand. Right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah, Mr. Nobody, like, from what I remember, he would... He, and this is kind of hit on here, actually, with uh, Batman and Superman, but he, like, he would, like, trap people in two-dimensional, like, paintings, or okay. he would, like, make them disappear from reality into their own little pocket world and his paintings... Um, but yeah, it was a lot of meta stuff. It was a lot of like warping reality, and he's kind of two dimensional himself, which makes him look really weird because he's you know he, he has this very silhouette kind of look to him. It looks like a Picasso painting who's walking around, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, his head looks like a question mark to me, so I, I enjoy a little that. bit. Yeah, well, it's a reverse question mark. No, no, it's not. Yeah, it's nice no, reverse. Yeah, so that'll be around. It depends on where you're looking at him from, though, because again, he's very two dimensional in a world that we always see as two dimensional. Yeah. So there's always that layer there, but anyways, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. He's he's a very fun character. Like I, he was great in the Morrison Doom Patrol run. Uh, he was great in the TV. He show seems even. irreverent, right? He doesn't like. He seems like a threat, 
But it's not like he's trying to cause the end of the world. He's just trying to have fun. Uh, so he's kind of mm-hmm. like Mixy Piddlick to me, like that. So it's just a little bit of that there, yeah. Um, I like I, I enjoyed the interactions with Batman and Superman here with them. Uh, you know, because this, this is like Batman seeing him for the first time when he comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence the Return of Kal El special uh, title. And you know they deal with this this crisis. They deal with him, and there's an editor's note saying, "Oh, they're going to like be facing facing him in World's Finest," because obviously this is a present day story, but they're going mm-hmm. to fight him in the past. Um, and there's like a joke at the end where like they're Bruce makes Clark some breakfast, and he's he's making jokes about his culinary skills, catching catching <laughs> a killer. A, yeah, he he uh, was in Paris, and he went to like Cordon Bleu, and Clark's like, "There's no way you had time." He's like, there's always time to learn to cook. Um, and oh, was it, sorry. It was, a, it was a diamond smuggler he caught with egg Diamond whites. smuggler, that's right. No, not a killer. Sorry. Yeah. I'm forgetting the crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Although if he's just cooking with egg whites, you might as well, because that's sociopathic behavior. You know, <laughs> I know you don't like eggs. Oh, that's like, disgusting. You know, you, yeah, just, just throw the yolk in there. You'll be fine. So, which I got to dig into that when we're done, because I was explaining that to my wife when we were eating breakfast the other day. As I was eating a massive omelet and going, oh yeah, Pete doesn't like eggs, um, so yeah, they're failed. Yeah. They're disgusting. Ah, uh, they're the best breakfast food. Oh, awful. Um, so yeah, that's that's the first story, uh, and mm-hmm. it's it's nice enough. I wasn't necessarily in love with the art. I'll say. Uh, yeah. Um. Who's the art here? Oh, I've forgotten. I'll go back to the first page and tell you. Uh, the art here is, uh. Oh, sorry, Clayton Henry was the artist. That's okay. why. That's why. So it's on about right. Yeah, Clayton Henry's fine. It's never my favorite art, but yeah. it's also not my least favorite. I feel like I, the reason why I said Travis Moore is because I, I went horizontal to read the artist, but it's yeah. actually, that's actually the variant cover is Travis Moore. Uh, Clayton Henry, I'm not surprised to see him actually because yeah. it, they are very Clayton Henry esque heads, and I've never yes. been a fan of Clayton Henry's heads. Yes. Uh, so there's Clayton this. Henry doesn't draw four heads, he draws five heads. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, especially that last couple of pages when they're in the kitchen, uh, and it's like less. You know, the, the more like normal a situation he has to draw, the worse yeah. his art looks to me. Uh, yeah, he's good. Good at action sequences where this two dimensional man is causing a riot. Bruce cooking eggs, not so much. Hey, the, the, the two dimensional, uh, you know, Mister Nobody, like played oh, to his strengths. Look good. Yeah. Look good. <laughs> so so yeah. It was good. S- simple uh, sh- shape to draw, basically. Yeah. Uh, uh, spoiler, spoiler, this might be the strongest uh, reaction I had to this. Is I, I, I did enjoy that story. But it's Mark Wade. Why, why were we surprised? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not great, Mark Wade, but it is, yeah. I, I agree it's the best story in the, the issue, which mm-hmm. means that we're not in for an yeah, amazing yeah, time with the rest of it. We're descending now. Because uh, then we have uh, a Jimmy Olsen story, which is a Cena Grace uh, mm-hmm. writing with Dean... Hash spiel on the R, uh, and I got to say I was not fond of this R. <laughs> no, no, not mm. not at all. The the writing now, Sina Grace. I feel like Sina Grace is doing a really good Matt Fraction impression mm. of the. This is what the Jimmy Olsen book felt like, you know, with with Jimmy doing like correspondence work for the internet and trying to go viral and stuff. Um, but yeah, the art really took me out because there's, there's just there's weird there's weird panels where it looks like. Jimmy's in a car with his his hair blowing back in the wind, and I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> it's very I, I call this Cartoon Network aesthetic. Uh, it's it like a Cartoon Network show, 
Which, if that's your bag, cool. It's personally not mine, and, especially. But why does Superman comics? look so sad all the time? Like, you know, there's yeah. that big two page layout where he's holding up, like, something over a couple of kids. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he's, like, holding in a poo or something in his face. Right. Like, yeah. He, he looks distressed, and I don't understand why. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. These, these weird, like, like, convex cheekbones that he's got going on yeah uh look really weird to me i don't know uh super not into it the whole the whole just thing that ends with yeah. basically jimmy's looking for the perfect photo and he's like yeah i've taken photos of you saving people yeah. like a hundred million times these don't mean anything we need something new and exciting and yeah. ultimately the idea is is that he takes a photo of superman looking at photos of john saving people one of which is the classic holding up the car from the action comics one pose right. The idea that it's like here's super dad is back and he's looking at his son all proud and that's like a new angle that he's never shown mm-hmm. in his photos before which is a nice idea but yeah. I, I i hated the art and this <laughs> yeah oh, i like the, the thing with jimmy like oh man i'm glad you're back because i've been having that itch to hit the watch button so i i did like there was some you know interpersonal stuff that felt nice to see you know superman come back and see jimmy um you know but yeah the art really took me out and I was like, oh no, if this is an indicator of what this book's going to be like, we're in for a rough time. Oh, actually, that's, you know what? I, I think I was a bit harsh before because I don't think the next story is that bad. I think the Marv Wolfman story that's up next is, is perfectly it, solid. It's perfectly fine. Uh, it's got the best art so far. Uh, Jack Herbert yeah. on the art. Yeah. I thought the art looked quite good. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of shadows, a uh, lot of definition to the This was the Distractions? Yes, this is, this is yeah. the one where... John thinks he's 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 got Lex, you know, like, dead to rights. Yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm dad. I'm going over here, like, take 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 Lex out of custody because I've got you know I've got him hit line sinker, and, and Superman's like, look, yeah. Lex has you know tricked me quite a number of times, son. Uh, I wouldn't be so sure. He's like, no, trust me, dad, I've got it. And then he yeah. walks in and like Lex is doing like charity work and like he looks like a complete. He's having a press conference and. <laughs> And John kicked down the door like he's the young bucks getting into CM Punk's locker room. Uh, what you mean, not at all? Well, yeah, I was I was leading into what the yeah, yeah, image yeah. was before. But, uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, um, you know, I like I appreciate it well enough. Uh, John and Clark go patrolling, and uh, John interacts with Lex again, and basically says he knows he's up to stuff, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically just intimidate not intimidates in like a threatening way but intimidates Lex no. in the sense that he makes Lex think that he has an idea of what he's actually doing even though he doesn't yeah. he's just bluffing uh, and it's just you know there's like a romantic moment with Lois and Clark at the end there's not much to it I, I, but I thought it was pleasant enough and the art was yeah, it was, definitely, it definitely the best felt, so far because it, it's Wolfman it definitely felt like from a different era mm-hmm. but it still worked which is kind of which is kind of nice having someone of that era write a John yeah. and Clark story well yeah and it's and it's the the father trying to tell the son, look, I think I know you're confident in what you do, but look, I've been doing this for a while. So just and John's like, no, dad, I got it. It's fine. It's fine. I got it. Yeah. And then he's got to go back and tell his dad, like, no, maybe I should have listened to you. So yeah. Um, uh, there is a good moment though where John says, I guess I'll never be as good as you, and uh, Clark says, No, you'll be no. better. Yeah. Like you know, he's like he's confident you'll that, be better. That is that is Wolfman's, you know, him working at DC for so long. His understanding of Superman, yeah. so of course he's gonna say that. Yeah, I would say, yeah, no, that one was pretty. That was pretty good. That's the second best one. Yeah, it's, the same, it's the same with uh, Batman and Dick. Because every time mm-hmm. it comes up, Batman says, "No, Dick's going to either is or is going to be better than I am." Like that's the point. Right. Uh, so uh, you know, it's it, uh, perfectly fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, then the last story is called "Home" by Alex Segura with art by B. 
Pico Ozio, I think that says. The, the font's a bit hard to read, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it's uh, Pico Ozio. Yeah. Not, not Pico's best work. I usually like Ozio's work. I first saw their work in um, Hawkman, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Here it seemed a, a bit, I don't want to say sloppy, but, you know, definitely... Not the best work. So I've got the comic up. I had to go like four or five pages in to remember what this one was because there's not really much that happens. It's basically just yeah. Superman going back to the Hall of Justice and running into a few people, uh, Martian Manhunter, Naomi, and Wally, and mm-hmm. basically just like, they're happy to have him back. Uh, you know, there's a lot of memories here and yeah. uh, you, you have to make a home for yourself everywhere. And there's like a tease at the end for, well, it's not even a tease. It's, 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 coming up? it's tying into... Uh, like this is him disappearing uh, before Dark Crisis, basically for the you know for yep. the death of the Justice League, and then so it's, it's basically solidifying that that happened after he returned from War World. So Dark Crisis right. all takes place after the War World saga, right? So I do like though that that you know this was a nice use of Naomi, right? Because she's not being used as this you know big powerhouse. It is the next generation person that does look up to Superman being like... Yeah, you've, basically you've got <clears throat> Jean is the same generation as him, Wally mm-hmm. is the generation that came after him, and then Naomi being Naomi. this future generation. Right. Yeah. And and we already know that she looks up to him, right, for that story when he came out uh, of his, his secret identity as Clark Kent, right? You know, that was all very much part of her her story too. Um, so and, I, and, I liked it, but it, it this definitely felt like a not even an annual backup. This felt like it would have been in like um, I'm trying to think of the the other type of stuff. So it's like hundred page specials with all the, yeah. the short stories. Yeah, it feels like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I will say this, and this is not to say that the art's bad. I think the art's perfectly fine. It's a little nineties, mm-hmm. perhaps, but it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but Naomi looks so like her outfit looks just kind of shitty when it's not yeah. drawn by Jamal Campbell or <laughs> like you know. It just I think she looks notably different because it's a different artist sure. drawing her. Uh, that really sure. stuck out to me. Yeah. Uh, whereas at least with Superman and that, I'm used to like a hundred million different artists' interpretations. Right, because you know Naomi's been so you know Bendis has kept her so you know in in either action or Superman or Teen Titans, he it's very a controlled look for her. Um, yeah. So. But yeah, but no, I I did like this. I like what Wally had to say about Superman, you know, and what he means to that generation. So, um, a lot of, a lot of fun stuff. But yeah. ultimately, this is just kind of a mixed bag that was, like, an okay read. Like, if this was on a busier week, I actually would have been upset that, that I read this, because it, it took up a lot. It felt, um, it was a bit fluffy. It didn't feel yeah. like it was needed at all. Um, and it kind of felt like, let's throw a bunch of short stories together for what's effectively yep. an annual on a fifth week. They're just not calling it an annual mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Uh, there's, I guess, the loose thread of this is like the first time Superman goes back to the Hall of Justice. The first time he uh, sees, uh, you know, Jimmy. The first time he sees Batman. The first, time, you know, it's just that's all it really. That's the that's the connecting tissue, and it's not really the. I mean, the Marv Wolfman story. There's like, yeah, it's the first time he's with Lois, kind of, uh, for like a page, and then it just like goes into the the John story. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it, cut, it cuts ahead to like a different story, effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, what are you rating? Superman um, Kellel special. I'm gonna give this a seven. I think that's a bit generous. That's fine. A bit generous. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a six. It's perfectly readable. I, I like the Wade story well enough. I think the Wolfman one's nice, but like, it's it's very skippable. Like, 
You do, mm-hmm. This is a six dollar book. You do not need to read. <laughs> you can no. you can move past it quite happily. All right, six point five. I'll adjust mine then. Oh, there you uh, go. I won't be that generous. I'll, you know. Ah, um. Okay, Batgirl's annual twenty twenty two. Uh, so this is essential in that it is just straight up the start of the next arc. <laughs> so. Oh boy, don't you love it when they do that? Well, I, I do actually. I prefer this. See, I like standalone stuff in annuals a little bit more. I I, I, uh, yeah, but I often feel that the annuals end up feeling like just fluff if they're just completely standalone. Yeah. I mean, there, there is good at standalone annuals, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I hate when I get to week five and it's nothing but annuals and they all just feel like standalone stories that don't really feel like they're important. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really appreciate when it feels like it's essential or at least like a good thematic tie-in to the run. And this is just, you know, the start of the next story. Uh, I will say it feels a little stretched out for the annual length. Uh, there's like some extra sort of jokey stuff early on in the issue. Some heavy third-person narration on the title page. It gets very met as well, where there's like an editor's note saying, oh, that pun was really bad, let's just go straight to the title, and then the title's yeah. at the bottom of the page. Uh, so, this is, if it's not even start of an arc text, it says part one of two, bizarrely. So, like, the next issue will wrap this up. And it needs to be wrapped up, because I was thinking, I didn't notice that when I was reading it, that it said that at the start, because this is a, a Freaky Friday story. This is the story of uh, Cass and Steph swapping bodies. Uh, and it does take a while to get to that point, which is why I'm saying it feels a bit stretched out for the sake of being an annual. Uh, but Steph wants to investigate a what was claimed to be a robbery on her new kind of maybe boyfriend's street. But... It's a bit suspicious because there's police tape up and stuff, and it's like, wait, this seems a bit excessive for a robbery. So her and Cass investigate it, and there's like, you know, the the outlines of the bodies and stuff, which is a very fictional thing, but it's a comic book, so whatever. I'll I'll let it go. Uh, so there's been a murder of some kind that's been covered up, uh, and there's a, a mysterious woman, uh, who has a cat with the uh, the different colored eyes, you know, one blue and one green, who gives them a coin as a thank you to, to Steph for getting the cat out of a tree. Uh, but they basically make a wish with a coin to like swap bodies or be each other for the next day because they're, they're both feeling a little, uh, you know, stressed about different things. Uh, Did not expect this to go to Freaky Friday. Yeah. And Babs is moving out of their apartment in the hills because the clock tower has been repaired. Uh, they're still a team, but she's not going to be living with them anymore. So the, mm-hmm. the two young bat girls are going to be the roommates now. Um, and it shows them like... You know, we we see what the, the the spend their nights doing. We see them playing video games and watching movies and you know whatever else. It's all mm-hmm. very sweet. Um, so they they toss the coin, make this wish, and when they wake up, they're switch bodies, right? Uh, and all of this is fine, and it's it's actually a really fun story once it gets going. But like this body swap thing happens in page twenty of forty. You know, it, it's quite late on after after a fair bit of setup. Uh, but it does it has a lot of fun once it actually kicks in and I, I love that like all of a sudden it looks like Cass has all the long speech bubbles and Steph doesn't but that's because they switch bodies <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of a uh, lot, lot of talk of this so they go to Babs for help and she doesn't really know what to do but she's going to look into it uh, she even asked Batman for help at one point um, but you know they go out to, to do their thing and they, they go to the cop that they've got as a contact to try and ask about the murder and, and you know what what not? So all these things are going on. Uh, there's a sweet moment between Babs and uh Batman because Babs is like worried about them and uh 
Batman's basically saying that you're always going to worry about them. I'm always worried about you and Dick. Like, you're always going to worry about the Batgirls. Uh, so there's, there's some sweet stuff with that um, and whatnot. But basically, uh, they end up both being, like, surprised or being, like, you know, confronted with something by the end of the issue. Uh, there's some great fighting stuff. There's actually a really nice page in the art where it's cast, but it's actually Steph is cast, but doing, like, the Batman jump down. So it's just the... It was just the eyes and then the big bat symbol, effectively, jumping down at a group of enemies. It's a really nice page. Uh, there's a lot of, like, purples because of Steph's outfit, and then the background's yellow, so that she really pops. There's a lot, so there's, a lot, there's some good art in here, uh, I will say. I don't even know if I mentioned the artist on this. Uh, it's Robbie Rodriguez, who I don't think is always great. I do think there's some weird faces mm-hmm. sometimes, um, but tends to be quite good when they're in costume doing action. So maybe a little bit... Uh, I believe I've heard you say that before yeah. in other books. So. I, I think he's better than Clayton Henry, but maybe a similar kind of divide where when they're just sort mm-hmm. of sitting around talking, the faces can be a little, you know, a uh, little flat, a little bit uh, unexpressive for my taste, mm-hmm. or maybe just, or maybe a better thing to say, just be not expressive in the way I'd like. Uh, but uh, when you get the, to the action, they've got the masks on, and uh, there's some great panels here. In fact, there's a, a page here where they confront... Um, like the the ninja whoever because they basically they 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 find, they find a bit of a blade that makes them think the league of assassins are responsible for the murder and they're chasing down this ninja later from 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 a bar and there's like a helicopter that like has a spotlight on the ninja so you get this big blinding yellow light and someone fires from the helicopter a blade and there's this like page of the ninja in silhouette with just this yellow background but with just like a bit of a black mist coming up from the bottom and it is a beautiful page, and you can see like blood pouring from his neck, which is still in silhouette. It's all just black on yellow, but it's it's gorgeous. It's a really great page, um, and it, it feels a bit dis- you know, but mean to say, oh, the art excels when like it the style removes the need for detail. But honestly, it it, it does. Like it, this looks good because it's it's a simplified kind of thing. Uh, but the the helicopter is of course Lady Shiva, who wants to see her daughter. And like, like Cass or Steph and Cassie's body, uh, like has to go with her, and you know Cass and Steph's body's like, you know, don't talk much, <laughs> be like me, <laughs> go 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 talk to your go talk to my mother, uh, and then the little twist at the end is that someone uh drugs Steph or sorry drugs Cass and Steph's body when she gets a drink at this bar they went to interrogate people. And she wakes up in a car with Clue Master, who wants to see his daughter. So oh, it's freaky. Boy. It's freaky Friday, but the gimmick at the end with the cliffhangers hey. is that both of their troublesome villainous parents have like kidnapped them or taken them away to talk to them, and that's it's, the that's the cliffhanger for the next issue. And it's funny is that Shiva's gonna get a talking to from uh, Cass slash Steph, yes. right? Or Steph slash Cass, and then I feel like uh, Clue Master's gonna catch a beating. From Cass and Steph's body. Yes. So, yeah. I might have to get caught up on this now. Because this sounds, sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It's good fun. Like I say, there's like... The, the only problem that's really persisted after the first arc is sometimes the third person narration is just a bit, you know, lame. Uh, and there's a little bit too much of it at the start of this issue. But honestly, once it gets going and it sets up its premise, this, you know, the Freaky Friday stuff's good fun, and then, like, oh, now they're in a situation with their villainous parents where they've had to swap over, and how are they going to deal with this? And there's, there's some fun comedy from Steph where she's like, wait, do I have all your fighting skills now because I'm in your body? Can I do microtransgressions? Can I understand them? 
uh, you know. Uh, at one point, like, uh, earlier on the issue, when Bab says she's moving out, Cass whips out, like, a like a fancy quote, and she says something really, like, poetic, and then Cass, and Steph, like, turns and goes, oh, it's uh, Edgar Allan Poe. She, she read, like, you know, like, all of his books. Because <laughs> mm. that's been one of, like, uh, Cassie's new traits, is she's doing a lot of reading. Uh, so... I love the idea that she's still a cast, but every so often she'll slip in like a really fancy sounding quote because she's read mm-hmm. it in a book. In uh, her memory, is probably one such that she gets like, yeah, yeah. not a didic memory, right? But like, because she doesn't speak that much, she'll remember it better. Yeah. And, and this, you know, for the record, this was teased that uh, these parents were going to be showing up either in the last issue or recently. Because uh, it wasn't like a shock that they both showed up. And it just says to be continued and Batgirl's 13. So um yeah i'm having a lot of fun with this book like i haven't I've like the last few issues i've really enjoyed uh so i i do like this freaky friday with Stephen cast that's that's inspired yeah uh, the only other thing around the background is that babs helps Alyssa open her new boba tea cafe uh so that's the thing that exists now um i don't think boba tea's for me but it's this trendy thing that people reference all the time now yeah, it, they're like tapioca balls in milk tea. Mm. I am not a fan. My wife loves them. Uh, my Hawaiian coffee shop we go to every Sunday sometimes does it. Uh, nah. Not, nah. not for me. I'll, I'll stick with coffee. I'd like coffee. I mean, I'll, I'll take a nice fruity smoothie or something, but I don't want boba yeah. tea. You take it away from me. If you uh, have uh, So, no, uh, good. Uh, so like I say, Robert Rodriguez... There's some really standout pages in this that I think look really cool, and are, the the colors are really pulpy. The yellows and purples all look great, uh, fantastic stuff. But then there's sometimes when they're just talking and the faces are a bit, you know, just kind of off proportion. Mm-hmm. They're just not quite to my taste. Uh, but I, I think the story, a little bit of setup uh, early on, maybe dragged out just a little touch. Not so much that I felt like it should have been a twenty page issue instead of a forty. But maybe, like, you know, in the middle. Like, maybe a 30-page issue <laughs> instead of a 40 uh, would have been the sweet spot here. But hey, it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. The plot it sets up is fun, and I'm excited for the next issue based on the cliffhanger. So, uh, oh, cool. So, I- I'm happy to give this a, a 7.5. I I think I'll- I'm marking it down a little bit. I'd probably give it the 8, if, it- if not for that just main fault of it feels like there's just some filler or some stretched out stuff early on at the start just to make it up to annual length. So I'll mark it down a little bit for that. Yeah. But, yeah. So 7.5. Uh, there you go. That's uh, Batgirl's annual. Blue Beetle Graduation Day Issue 1. Uh, Josh Trujillo and Adrian Gutierrez on the art. Mm-hmm. So, um, I uh, jumped into this. I was a little bit worried yes. that I got like uh-huh. a weird version because like some of the dialogue from the parents and stuff was in Spanish and I'm like, wait, is this supposed to be translated into English or is, what's going on here? So I'll say this. I accidentally downloaded the uh, Spanish language one. I was able to fix it. <laughs> but I couldn't figure out why there was two. There Two had popped up. Uh, able to do a swap real quick. We're not, not a big deal. But yeah. Um, it would have helped with my Spanish, you know, because I am semi- Semi uh, okay in Spanish, but yeah, um, yeah, you still get the vibe of what they're going through if you just read the words with the tone, which which is good. Uh, I will just say, every Blue Beetle book I've read mm-hmm. uh, since the original uh, from way back in the day has been kind of the same, and it's Jaime trying to keep his superhero life right. It's very Peter Parker, Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. 
but also with an alien bug talking to him. This feels like we're finally getting past that. Yeah, it feels so like the whole graduation day vibe. I am so glad the, that we only spent a yeah. little bit of time on that. The, the whole the whole premise of it though is that it's the end of high school, so it's finally yep. moving on to the next part of his life. But uh, the aliens may be back, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, like the the the, the reach the, the, the scarab stops talking to him, and he's starting to get worried about it. Um, Batman and Superman are worried about it because we see them, you know, interact a little bit and Superman even comes to, like, tell him, like, hey, stop being a Blue Beetle for a little while. Stop doing superheroics because, you know, we, we saw that transmission that the Reacher may be coming back and we kind of have to deal with it. But yeah, mm-hmm. typically, you know, every Blue Beetle thing I've ever read has been the same thing, which is, you know, fairly mm-hmm. likable character with him and his group of friends dealing with the fact that his parents are worried about him and trying to balance that superhero normal life you know together yeah. right try to balance those two yeah. things um and i think i think blue beetle could be a great character with and he is he is a good character but like, mm-hmm. i think he could be like a, a character who has a nice long-running comic book um i could see it being dc's ultimate spider-man in many ways yeah. not spider-man in general but their ultimate yeah. spider-man specifically um i agree because he's this young dude that has so much they can do so much of them. It kind of reminds me of, of Wally West when he took over as Flash mm. and Wade was writing him. Right? There's so much you can do with this young character and establish this whole new, you know, kind of get him away from the reach and stuff. Joe, you know think... establish his more superhero y thing. Now, I've not read the, the original run from, mm-hmm. you know, before the New 52 that yeah. made people fans of him, right? So I, I mm-hmm. can't speak to it. Maybe that did. But I feel like everything I've read since, which is, you know, he had that short lived book at the start of Rebirth, he yep. had something in New 52 uh he's popped up elsewhere i feel like because we only get him in these short snippets every time someone comes back to him they feel like they have to go back to the core thing that make him yep. you know jaime reyes so we get a repetition of the same ideas um what he really needs is a longer run of some kind just so that a writer can get that out of their system right and just then go on to new stories yeah but you know because like you know someone comes comes to him and it's like oh they're just going to do you know the next you know the, the, the like we have to do the reach again we have to do him talking to the well, the, the scarab again so, so what i do like here is that it seems like the whole graduation day we are going to get past that but it's also reset to kind of early blue beetle where yes. in this like he doesn't understand it again because it starts speaking in reach um and it's created this whole whole cluster that he's gonna have to deal with and so it finally felt like we're doing something new but also you know was familiar enough with with a comfort it's it's kind of reminded me like every single time they do a new cyborg series it's like oh maybe this will be the one this may be the one that does something cool with a character does something new and it's like once again he's part man he's part machine you know he's living with that and like you know has relationship with his father and i'm like I get why you come back to this, but it, 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 you know it's like we 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 joke and complain every so often when they have to show the perils in the alleyway again with Batman. Yeah. But the simple fact with Batman is though is that those are small snippets of thousands of stories with different right. villains, with different journeys for Bruce that he's went on, where he's learned different things, he's got over different things, he's had different relationships with different people. Like, there's so much mm-hmm. bad history. And I'm not saying it, like we have to give every character that much history because that's absurd. Batman and Superman are always going to have more than every other character in DC. It's just the way it is. Yeah. But the simple fact is, is that imagine if Batman, instead of having the Rose Gallery he does, 
every single time we got a Batman story, he started talking about his dead parents again, and it was about the one villain that ties... You know, if it was, let's say they only had the Joker, there was no other Bat villains. So every time it was the Joker, and every single time it somehow brought up the memory of his dead parents. That was every single Batman story. That's kind of like what reading every single time they start a new Cyborg or Blue Beetle Jaime Reyes book is like. Yeah, <laughs> it's always yeah. the same elements, just you know, maybe slightly altered or maybe slightly you know whatever, but never really advancing. So that's what I like that this did here is that it set up that he is out of this crossroads that his friends are going off to college, but he's going to stay in town and work. What was it for his uncle? Yes. A um, diner. I think he said at a diner, right? While he decides what he wants to do. And while he's going through this, the his scarab starts acting up again. Uh, and that's where we realize the reach is coming. And so um, it, it, he is at this crossroads now where he wants to do his own thing. But he's getting pulled back into, you know. I just want to say, else. like that that rant I just went on. That's not to say that I think the writing this is bad, or that yeah. it's it's not, you know, a easy read and it, it flows well enough. The art is, you know, it's not necessarily like the faces are always to my taste. I would say it's, it's yeah. got kind of a. There's a style to it though, where it feels yeah. like it's this artist's style, and and I'm okay with that. It's kind of like Clayton Henry, right? As we we get on about him with the the look of his faces. But that's his style, so I'm okay because at least it's consistent. It feels very manga esque to me, to where there are these big, it's, it's a little, yeah. big expressions on the face, where like a smile takes up the whole head. You yeah, know? it's the eyes and the mouths kind of like are wide and take up a lot of room. There's this kind yeah. of that. And the big cliffhanger though is that you know he's with his friends and there's a report uh, of someone that looks like they're in. It's like a it's just like a female blue beetle-esque so it's not blue it's, I mean, it's yellow and black mm-hmm. but uh th- this is maybe right. i mean someone who is an arch nemesis or possibly a love interest by the time he meets her who knows right but it uh, clearly it wants to do yeah. different things with them and that's that's great but definitely a lot of this issue felt yeah. like oh, i've read a lot of these beats kind of with prior blue yeah. beetle story and i've not read a lot of jaime reyes like i feel like i've never finished any of these books i always like read the first couple and i try to keep up with them and then Mm-hmm. They always end up just falling uh, through the cracks because they never feel like must reads, and I would love, I would love it, I would love it if uh, a Blue yeah. Beetle book felt like a must read. I'm, I'm definitely gonna try to to stick with this one, just because it is a mini, and we'll see where it, you know, where yeah. it ends up. Like if if he's gonna get his own book again, which I think would be cool, but um, but yeah. Uh, Palmyra City is where he's going to go. That's yeah. right. I don't Palmyra think you'll get an ongoing. Maybe they'll do the thing they did with Ivy, where if it sells well enough, yeah. and I doubt it, but if it does sell well enough, maybe they'll yeah. extend it to twelve or something. Yeah. Um, I also like that Superman comes. I'm going back through it. Superman comes and talks to him for his his graduation, um, because he wants to tell him about the reach. Uh, just I do like the their whole interaction. Superman feels very much like not an elder statesman, but like as an alien as like you know this this guy that's of earth he's the perfect person to come and talk to Jaime you know um so I thought that was a real fun where they tell him that he's grounded because they can't risk him you know being compromised I thought that was a real fun scene um but yeah no it's that was a very uh, a nice light fun read uh and it, it made me you know reading the parent stuff in Spanish made me you know flex those muscles that are kind of rusty so yeah yeah thoroughly enjoyed so yeah 
Uh, all right, what are you giving the Blue Beetle? I'm going to give this a 7.5. Yeah, I think this is a 7 for me. Uh, it's it's a decent enough read. I'm not sure, like, depending on how many books are out when issue 2 comes out, I'll see if I feel like reading the second one. But I, I don't feel like I need to, uh, mm-hmm. based on this first issue. It's, it's perfectly fine. There's, you know, there's not too much wrong with it, other than just feeling like, you know, going through a lot of the same things that I feel like Jaime always seems to to, to deal with. Um, but, yeah. Uh, there you go. Uh, also, I just saw on my phone there, there was a comment on the Collector's Cut episode we did for the second Dirty Harry movie mm-hmm. that just read from someone who I assume is old, based on the photo, uh, you don't understand sexual relationships in the 1970s. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. I don't. <laughs> I wasn't born. So, yes. Uh, yeah, there's, there's some weird sex stuff in the Dirty Harry movies, at least the first three. They've all got some weird things in them, but whatever. Clint's working out his, his stuff in those yeah. ones. Yeah. 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 Uh, anywho, so uh, one last bit to talk about. Every month on patreon.com slash TV, you can make myself or Connor read a book at one of the higher tiers, and I am reading American Vampire issue 31 today which is on my tablet which is somewhere where, where did i put that <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll do what i can from memory um so this follows up the idea that dracula is you know they're building this chair that's going to amplify Dra- you know basically has like cerebral <laughs> to control the population mm. of the world and the you know what Hobbs and Felicia are working with these uh, European vampires uh, and they're forming an alliance to take down Dracula and their plan is to just basically go up and plant a bomb on their ship because they're on a ship and uh, these vampires can't swim so they will effectively drown and die. So that's the plan. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of like little bits in here that, I mean the big thing in this issue is that Hobbs dies. Like Hobbs has been this recurring character since the start of the book. And mm-hmm. he gets an arm ripped off and then a leg ripped off, but he gets to, you know, look Dracula in the eye. Because uh, Dracula is like, oh, you're reaching for that dynamite. It's not going to work. Uh, the fuse, you know, won't work. It's, like, it's not a fuse, it's a timer. And then you just get like Dracula's <laughs> reaction and like the, the boom goes off, you know? Um, but there's some interesting, like, progression in here. For, like, obviously, all this stuff is really effective. There's a good bit of tension and they're on the little boat. Like, you know, they're on like a little, you know, a little speedboat to go mm-hmm. up to the, the ship and stuff but they they advance a lot of key things here uh, there's a sort of a running thing throughout where there's kind of this camaraderie forming between some of these vampires and uh felicia and hobbs and it's this idea that you know the the vms for a long time were kind of like you no know, we hunt vampires of all kinds but by the end of the issue it's kind of teased throughout but then at the end uh when it's kind of like set in stone it's like no what we really fight is evil and we have to kind of discern which species of vampire are evil and which ones can actually be, you know, civil and like be allies and fight against the the more evil kind. And um, you know, so there's kind of like some you know touching moments where they're kind of bonding a little bit, and then at the end, uh, Felicia becomes the new head of the VMs, uh, and it's explained to her by like because she she thinks she's reporting to her new boss because she's chosen to like sign back up. Because she's realized that trying to keep the kid out of this was, like, a stupid idea because he was born into it 
And mm-hmm. the other part of this issue is that the kid actually goes full vampire. Uh, he kills... Uh, it's a bad guy. He doesn't kill, like, a good person or anything. Right. But he, he kills a bad guy, and it's like, yeah, like, he's... Like, the cure, like, turned him into, like, a normal vampire, or at least... I mean, he's still kind of growing, so he's not a vampire yeah. like, fully, but the idea that he's he's kind of like a hybrid and like, but he's still got that 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 the monster still in him and he can still access it and he can still drink blood and so on. Mm-hmm. So this is something he has to be a part of. He can't just avoid this life uh, anymore. So that's a big thing that's set up for the future. Uh, but Felicia's now in charge of the VMs, and it's like, okay, so we're going to have allies. We're going to like seek out the the more friendly vampires, and we're going to like take on the dangerous ones. Which is, you know, it's a, it's a nice ending to this arc. It feels like a big... I think what's nice about it is that there was a lot of tension in it. Like, the way that they built up Dracula in this arc was so good. And it was so intense. And he felt like a, the biggest threat that they'd ever had in the book. But I also like that by the end of it, the, it does feel like this cataclysmic shift in the way that the, the world of this story works. Where all of a sudden, the VMs can now include vampires. And it's all about hunting the right kinds of monsters. And maybe there's some, like, you know, some messaging in there that's kind of nice about you can't just, like, write an entire species off. You have to sort of understand the nuances of it and all that. Um, and kind of learning that. But, you know, you obviously you get these more werewolf-looking vampires, like, fighting alongside Hobbes. And uh, the actual ripping off of Hobbes' limbs looks great. Obviously, Albuquerque's, uh, you know, doing the work, as you would say. I guess the, the also I guess the surprising thing here is that I don't think Skinner Sweet ever showed up in this arc, mm-hmm. and that may be a first. You know, not counting the uh, the miniseries, but that that was a miniseries. That wasn't the main book, so that's that's kind of how I I never even thought about it with that. But this may be the first arc in the main book. No, the the, the two parter with uh, the 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 jazz the band cave. guy. No, oh, no, no, the cave. No, he's in the cave. He was in yeah, the cave. Yeah, I was gonna say. I thought you no, said no. that was the last time you saw him. No, 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 no. The the yeah. two parter with uh, the, like the the black musician, or the, mm-hmm. the, the well, his brother was a musician, but the black guy who was like a vampire right. comes to the small town. That two parter didn't have sweet. That may be the only one before now. But this was a full, you know, five issue, six issue arc with Hobbs and Felicia, and Skinner Sweet never showed up. That's quite notable, yeah. I think. Yeah, big time. So, you know, that's that's some. Um, but yeah, now all 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 of the uh, all the build up to the big conflict is great. The conflict itself was bloody and violent. Uh, the in fact, actually, what's going on? Like the kid, the person he kills is the guy that's like the Renfield to Dracula, and he kills him because this guy actually boards their boat to try and kidnap the kid. Because it turns out Dracula, because like uh, the kid's this weird hybrid, yeah. um, because Dracula can't control American vampires that species he was hoping that he could spread a new form of american vampire from this kid that he could control and that was kind of right. what he was hoping for he, he could control everything by like wiping out the current version of the american vampires and replacing it with this new form from this kid because he does have an influence on this kid he is causing the kid nightmares and there's like a scene in the book where the kid's like mom like if you stop dracula will it stop my nightmares and she's like, right. i promise it will and I'm like, that's a big thing to promise, because I feel like even if Dracula's not causing them anymore, literally, he still might have a lingering like fear of them that'll still have nightmares. Yeah. Like, you're promising a lot there, Felicia. I'll just, you know, put that out there. Uh, but no. So it felt like a big turning point in the book. It felt like a big turning point going into the next like story arcs. 
uh, where there's like a direction for the entire universe going forward. And I, you know, I've never actually read all of the stuff that came later. You know, I started Second Cycle, uh, but I certainly didn't read the, the newest one that was kind of the ending of uh, American Vampire. So I'm really fascinated to see how it all fits together now. The- second Cycle, and then there's the the sixties one, right? That that's or is that Second Cycle? Oh, I can't remember. But there, yeah. there was like a there was one that was not too long ago now, but it's um. You know, ultimately, second cycle delays started to make it really hard to like keep up with, and you know, I, I, I'm liking this consistent reading that I've been doing of it for Patreon, yeah. because when I go on to that side of it, like it'll, I'll get to sort of experience it without this weird like cloud of oh, it's been a year since I read the last issue, and I don't really remember what was going on and all that stuff. So, I am excited uh, to get into that stuff because you know this is like the, you know, quite late on in the original run at this point. Yeah, uh, we have the second mini coming up soon, though. I don't know if that's next. Uh, I'll have to go back and check the trade again because uh, I'm reading through the trade digitally. Uh, but uh, I know I know the was second. This, this was twenty eight through thirty four, right? The issues you read. Uh, well, this is only thirty one that I just did, so there'll be maybe a few more yeah. then before the the mini. Because yeah, because Lord of Nightmares is co- collected, but they have it placed before twenty eight through thirty four. So. Maybe you read them out of order? I don't know. No, I think it's after it in the trade. I think they're the back okay. of the trade. Okay. Yeah. So it'll be after issue 34, the, the, the Lord of Nightmares okay. money. It'll be... Gotcha. I'm going to have to revisit this before you're done with this one, because I don't remember... I remember it, but I don't. It feels like a, a dream that I had. And I know I have them, because I have the first... I think the first six trades. Mm. So... And it says that in trade five is... Lord of Nightmares 1 through 5 and 28 through 34. And then it's second cycle and then 76. 76 is the last one that started to come out in 2021. Yeah, I knew I knew there was one that was relatively yeah. recent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that's technically the, the ending of it or if like... I, I, feel, I feel like at a certain point he has to decide that he's writing the last part of it so it can mm-hmm. end. But uh, it's a wonderful universe to be in. Like it's always yeah. fun to read. Um. So, yeah. Uh, no, a lot of great stuff here. Uh, Hobbs getting a big fit conclusion. It really, it really feels like a big sort of turning point because of Hobbs' death, because Hobbs has been... Mm-hmm. Hobbs has very much been the, the anchoring character throughout so much of the entire book yeah. so far that shifting from him to someone else is really exciting. So, uh, yeah. Um, no, I'm happy to give this issue a nine. It's really good. It's fantastic. Yeah. Great climax to the arc. Uh, one yeah. of the one of the best arcs in the book, honestly, the whole thing. So there you go. Uh, that'll take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favorite stuff of the week, favorite panel slash more, favorite cover, favorite art, and top five books. So Matt, panel slash moment, what you got? So I'd love to pick something from Superman, right? Because there's some stuff, but then you also have the Nightwing Annual, which you know there's a lot of stuff in the Heartless. Mm-hmm. But the thing that that left an imprint in my mind the most was was grundy showing up in uh, jsa sure um, yeah. so realizing that grundy and huntress are on the same side and then he just says you know whatever whatever he says i can't remember what, what, what if it was monday or born on a monday whatever um it's a real a real fun and uh yeah and it makes it look great so yeah that's mine yeah um what's my moment or panel of the week um there is some great stuff in that JSA book and that Nightwing book. Um, 
I think I'm going to go with the the kid, heartless, heartless kid's reaction to the Grayson's death. Mm-hmm. It's such a moment because I think I was worried about including the Grayson's death. So not only did that moment alleviate the worries, it was instantly exciting, like mm-hmm. how it was being used. Because no, no, he's looking at this and enjoying the fact that he's looking at a, a death, and that's 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 the only connection to Grayson's past, and that's like. And one that I can, I'm happy with. It's not, it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like yeah. this contrived retcon or anything. It's just, he just witnessed it. Because uh, there was an entire crowd, so why not? Uh, but yeah, good stuff. Uh, cover of the week. Uh, there's actually not a lot of variants for some of the books because the annuals don't tend to have a lot of variants. But yeah. uh, uh, I've, I've got an easy choice. I think my, my pick's the main cover for uh, Just Society of America, uh, which is Huntress with the... Mm-hmm. The sort of the, the GSA kind of and sort of like ghost form behind her. Uh just a really nice image. That's yeah. it. That's it. The the uh, Paquette variant with uh, Alan Scott's quite well drawn too. But uh, pretty, the, pretty good too. The, the main cover is yeah. my pick. What, what you got? Gotcha. Um I really like the Batgirls, even though I didn't read it, but you did. That's a fun <laughs> cover. It's, um, it's, with the split yeah. between them. Yeah, it's got their their, their parents behind their parents, them. Their respective parents. Uh, Let me look up. Let's see what the Nightwing ones are real quick because I forgot. I looked earlier when we started the show, and they have ran away from my mind. That's just heartless. Yeah, I'm gonna go with JSA as well. It is yeah. just a good cover. The the regular one. Yeah, yeah, yeah good stuff. Uh, all right, art of the week. Uh, I'm gonna go with yeah, it's easy. I'm gonna go with Penseca for the Nightwing. I really thought it was nice and uh it, it complements that style that we've had in okay. Nightmare. So uh I'm going with the Yannin. Uh I yeah. just think it was overall the best presentation of the week. Although there was good moments in Batgirls, obviously the art well not as good as uh, Redondo did fit the, the darker yeah. backstory that the, the character was telling. So um yeah, but I'll go with Yannin for just Society of America. Alright. Top five books, Matt, go. All right, so number one is going to be the Nightwing Annual. Number two is Justice Society. Three is... Uh-huh. I remember. Three is Blue Beetle. Four is Detective Comics. And five is Superman Return of Kal-El. Yeah. My number one is... Yeah, probably Nightwing Annual as well. And then Justice Society is number two. Number three is... Uh... Batgirls number four is Detective number five Blue Beetle graduation day. Yeah, there you go. Okay, uh, so I'll tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics, everyone. So gather around uh, for a yarn. Uh, so coming next week is Batman 130, Poison Ivy 7, mm-hmm. Batman and the Joker, the Deadly Duo, issue two. Uh, Dark Crisis Warzone issue one. Maybe this one shot won't feel like a waste of time, but uh, we'll read it anyway. <laughs> Find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing issue three. Gotham City Year One issue three. Sword of Azrael issue five. Monkey Prince issue nine. Batman Nightwatch issue four. And Mad 29. So I'm definitely going to read that one shot because I don't have a lot of other books next week. <laughs> yeah. Um. So check who's on the cover of the Azrael book. Of the Azrael uh... book? Yeah, it's Father Valley. Oh, sure, um, yeah. Ram V. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm not getting caught up on Sword of Azrael, but maybe if Connor's on. Of course not. I'm sure he's been reading. Um, but that's cool. I mean, I like seeing him pop up. 
He kind of had a feeling because if he's in yeah. involved with the Order Saint Dumas, that so uh, next week popping up somewhere. I have three issues and a Patreon book. <laughs> yeah, quite, no, I got uh, one, two, three. I'm caught up on Monkey Prince, so I'll get that one. So five. Because you're reading Poison Four. Ivy as well. You're reading Poison yeah. Ivy and Monkey Prince. You have five. Yeah, because you're reading all the ones I am. So, yep. uh, yeah, that's not quite a week. See, if I had checked this week, I might have just left uh, American Vampire for next week. That's but okay. Whatever. There you go. Uh, yeah, that's okay. We'll, 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 we'll uh, somehow ramble on to give you a full yeah. show next week. Uh, sure. But that's what's coming uh, next week from DC Comics. So, uh, very good. And... Yeah, so look forward to that. Um, but that is the show. That is episode 333 of Comics from the Multiverse. Uh, of course, let us know what you thought of any of the books. Uh, where you can get us on the Twitter at DC Comics Podcast. You can comment in the YouTube comments, uh, which helps out the videos a bit, as does liking, subscribing. And you can rate the audio podcast five stars or whatever on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. All of that does help. Share us out with your friends. And of course, if you want to support us financially and help keep all the content coming, including this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash TV and you can get early access to the show at the $5 tier. You get it whenever it's ready on the Saturday night versus the Sunday and you know it's depending on your time zone it may be quite late but you get it a bit in advance uh, if nothing else it's there for you waking up on the sunday uh worst case yeah. uh but go and have a look and see if you're interested uh in helping other content and so on so uh but that is us that is comics from the multiverse thank you very much once again for watching i should probably also occasionally promote uh other things because the the audio yeah. listeners will get to see them on the screen so there's a discord uh, check the description for links if you like uh, there's also um, other YouTube channels with uh, movie podcasts and TV reviews and things like that. Um, there's three movie podcasts now. There's a horror movie podcast called Screams After Midnight, a sci-fi movie podcast called The Atomic Cinema Experiment, and a new movie podcast called The Collector's Cut, which is working through franchises and batches of movies that fit a theme of some kind, mm-hmm. uh, which is where I've been doing the Dirty Harry movies. Uh, and someone accused yeah, us of not know. understanding sexual relationships in the 1970s, apparently. I can't imagine it's that different than now. I really can't. There's only there, 50 years ago. There's a running thing in the first three Dirty Harry movies where Dirty Harry will encounter like a like a, a, like a more of a new age sexual act where like maybe like mm-hmm. it'll be people having a threesome and he'll just kind of look grumpy about it because he's kind of old school and doesn't really get like new free love or anything like that because he's, yeah. you know... Um, I'm sure we crack some jokes and yeah, I, I, I whatever. Hey, anyway. dude, he's a square. It's kind of in in his character, <laughs> you know. He's in San Francisco and he hates it. So yes, yes. If you all come to Dirty Harry and say something about the shocker, he won't understand what you mean. <laughs> yeah, he'll think it's tying a guy to a chair and hitting him with a cattle prod. That's, <laughs> that's what the shocker is to Dirty Harry. Uh, uh, and if you don't know what the shocker is, Google it. It's safe. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Uh, Keep. But real, real, real side oh. story. Uh, we used to do the hand uh, gesture in uh, my high school, and we got it manned. It was basically the equivalent of the middle finger. Uh, to <laughs> and we couldn't throw it up anymore. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what happens when people take the team picture throwing up the shocker. So yeah, there's also a hint in there, guys. If you want to Google it, but uh, yeah. All right, that is the show. That is Carlos from Multiverse episode three three three. Thank you very much once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.